documented. Miracles happening today. All right, welcome back to Documented. We are here with Natasha Ventura in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and she has an amazing testimony. I know just a little bit about it. I heard her speak last night, and it was really, really powerful, and I can't wait to get more detail about it. And just knowing her today and the little bit that she said last night, you can't even recognize this woman, that she came from that past. And that is the power of God. That's the miracle that we want to document really excited to be here. And Natasha, take it away. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you grew up. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for inviting me to your podcast. And um, I was born and raised here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was born to a single mother, my dad. He was kind of like a player at the time. My mom and him had been in a relationship for two years and my mom she was kind of like she had dignity she wasn't just a you know a loose lady and so she carried herself in a certain way you know and so my dad was like I want to be with this lady you know and so um, she ended up starting a, a relationship with him and they planned me, so I was actually planned, you know. <laughs> and so my mom ended up getting pregnant with me. And then my dad, with his player ways, went his way and ended up getting, you know, someone else pregnant and then getting married. And then later, got when I was six months, he got thrown in prison for armed robbery. So let's go a little bit more into that. So your mom was pregnant and then your dad then cheated on her with another woman and got another woman pregnant? He, I don't really know the, the logistics of it. Sure. All I know is that he was not, when my mom got pregnant, he decided he didn't want a relationship with her at that point. Wow. Even though you guys, you were planned. I was planned. And so he, he was young. They were mm. both young. My mom gave birth to me when she was 19 going on 20. And so your dad, was he in the picture the first six months of your life? No. Oh, wow. He actually got married to another lady that didn't have his baby. So, yeah, he married an, another lady and... Um, Gosh, I imagine that really broke your mom's heart. Oh, yeah. She loved him. But, yeah, he was he was kind of like a, you know, young and he's yeah. very good looking. He's still good looking <laughs> to wow. this day, so say just a player so you when you were born your mom was having the man she was in love with baby but he was nowhere to be found because he was remarried he was remarried and then he was having another baby wow. like a year later with someone else i mean that marriage meant nothing to him he actually pimped her out so like he married her but then she was he pimped her out so wow. it meant nothing to him i have no idea why he married her. So did he ever get to, did he meet you as a, as a baby before he went to prison? My mom said that she was at the hospital giving, after she gave birth to me and that he came with the dress because he had denied me. He, he told her that I wasn't his. And so my mom lived it. And so when he came to the hospital to see me, like she's mad. 
And he has like a dress for me. He's like, oh, my daughter. You know, she's like, Ugh. <laughs> like oh my gosh. Wow. So he accepted that you were his at the hospital. I was yeah, his. He knew. Like my mom was not that kind of girl. So he met you right after you were born. Yes. Okay. And then he, at, when you were six months old, he was sentenced to, to prison? Yes. I'm not sure like if my mom allowed him to be in my life. I know that my mom um, was very hurt by him and his accusations of me not being his and then my grandmother was kind of like she was like a she was from the south and you didn't mess with her she carried guns and you know she was just like (laughs) real life Medea. she was like you don't mess with her and so i mean he could chuck and jive with my mom but like if my grandma showed up he was like oh miss foster's outside what you doing with that gun in your pocket miss foster how long was he locked up? He was sentenced to 86 years oh my in prison, wow. which is a whole nother story. And it was for armed, armed robbery. And I'm not one to call the race card very often. And so, but you have to look at the logistics of it. I mean, armed robbery, no one was killed. No one's uh, injured. 86 years for a 21 year old who is still in prison to this day i will be 40 next week wow Uh, and the judge you know later the story is that the judge killed his wife and himself the one that sentenced him to that much time the judge that sentenced your dad killed his wife Mm -hmm. and then killed himself wow so there's some um there's some to. questions about the judge's character or discernment. Yes. Okay. Wow, that's really heavy. Mm-hmm. And so um, what happened from there? So my mom, you know, she's a single mother, but she's young. She's 19. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, she has her little... Were you her first baby? I was her first baby. And my mom, the way that she raised me, like, as a, ch- as a little girl... I was not allowed to be a baby. Like my mom always kept it real. She just, she told me that her mom never told her anything. So she told me everything. I knew er, I knew everything by the age of four. When you say everything. Like birds and bees and um, <laughs> oh all men want is one thing. And wow. I knew everything everything so she was saying that to you as a little girl mm-hmm. she just you know wanted to look out for me she didn't want to make the same i guess mistakes so to speak that sure. her that she felt her upbringing had on her um and so okay so, you know as a little girl i can remember my mom going to bible study and going to church and um, I don't remember my sister being born yet. My memory is really good wow. from, from a really young age. And so I can remember my mom showing me how to pray. I can remember her speaking in tongues, you know, when I was a little girl. And When did your mom become a Christian? Okay, so she dabbled in Christianity when it was just me and her. So it had to have been, she, I, I didn't have my other sister until I turned three. So um, she went to like Victory Love. And, and I just remember it was just me and her, you know, at that time. She talked to you about your dad? She did. Okay. She told me that he was in, in prison. 
My mom always kept it real. There was ever, never any, oh, don't tell them that because they're kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, she take you to visit him as a kid? No. My mom, okay. she never drove. She, you know, we never had a car. She never learned to drive. And so at the time, like, his family would say that they would take, they were going to take me or pick me up. And it just never happened. I never, I hadn't met him. And so at the age of two, um, my mom, though she dabbled in Christianity, it was a dabbling. Like she didn't understand salvation fully. She thought you go to church, you pray, and then you live your life. Um, and so that was the way that they lived. At the age of two, I could remember my mom going out. At the time, like the clubbing scene, I guess in the 80s, early 80s was like popping or whatever, you know. And so she's young and she wants to have fun. So she leaves me with a 13-year-old girl. How does she know the girl? My mom has a like a very traumatic childhood as well. Like she, she told me like if she wanted to eat, she had to go to her friend's house. Wow. Because, like, my, my grandmother was a workaholic, and she just, like, I guess her kids were out of sight, out of mind. Wow. Like, and so she didn't feed them. And so my mom, that's how she learned how to eat, like, hot chili because she had a lot of um, Spanish friends. And then, like, um, there was another family, the Bradleys. Uh, there was another, they were African-American. And they just welcoming you know, um, crazy as all get out. They are so, (laughs) they are wild and crazy, but welcoming, you know? And so my mom would go over there all the time and she'd eat and she grew up with these, the Bradleys. And so, so it stands to reason that she had asked someone from that family to watch you. Yeah. Yes. And so, um, she leaves me with, uh, with the babysitter and I just remember being there and then this, 13 year old girl she was being really mean to me I remember her she violated me sexually after that she spanked me and so I was really like thinking I did bad you know like I did a bad thing she say anything to you all I can remember I can remember her laughing while she was violating me I can remember her laughing and then so wicked. I can remember her, uh, she spanked me. And then like my hair was kinky, but it was kind of like curly. And she wanted to, I guess she straightened my hair with this thing called a um, pressing comb. In the, in the black community, like we have lots of ways with our hair, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, she uh, got this pressing comb. She got it really hot and she, she straightened my hair. And, um, and you're two years old? I'm two at this point. So your hair is a lot more sensitive at two. Yeah. And so my mom came home and she noticed that my hair was straight. And I just remember them beating her up. My mom and her aunt. I can remember them beating her up. And I can remember her crying with the bloody nose. But my mother didn't know that she had sexually violated me. You know, whatever evidence she had was But your mom was mad enough about her straightening her hair. Tell me why she'd be mad about that. Well, my hair had never needed 
anything like straightener or anything like that. I was two, you know, and um, I could remember after that, my mom said my hair fell out. Okay. So I don't know if she burned my hair out. Mm-hmm. So she, your mom recognized that whatever she did to your hair was going to hurt your hair. Mm-hmm. And she was mad about that and beat her up. Yeah. Yes. And little did she know that far worse had happened. Yeah. Wow. Yes. And so during that time, you know, I, my mind was never pure after that. Like I could remember like just having such a dirty mind as a little kid I don't know what it is but I really think that kids that are violated there's a spirit on them and they will gravitate towards other kids that have been violated and they start to act that out because that's what happened to me you know and um, I can remember for years dealing with that acting that out I could you know, just, we really didn't know what we were doing, you know, but I could remember being in, in that situation, like over and over and over again. And I didn't really understand why I was doing that now. When is this happening? Is this like at a sleepover or at a play day and you're in, you're in a room? I don't remember actual times. I just remember us being able to be alone. Like where the parents weren't looking. And this is, so you were violated from someone of the same sex. Was this kids from, of the opposite sex? Was it both? It was mostly opposite sex. I mean, even at that age, I knew I didn't like girls. But you were violated at two. So do you remember the first time that you acted it out? after the violation I mean are we talking like three four years old or was it a little bit later than that I want to say it wasn't too much longer after that oh my god I remember and the poor I don't even know if the boy knew anything about that you know and I remember saying something about it I I don't know who I told but the adults got wind of it. And I could remember my, who later became like an aunt to me, you know, just like confronting me about it. You know, and I was mm. two, three. I was a baby. After the confrontation, did anything change? I just decided to be a little bit more secretive, I guess. Not long after that, my, I can remember my younger sister being born. And my mom, well, first, before she was born, of course, I can remember seeing my mom pregnant. Um, And she had a big belly, you know, and I was just like... And was she with the father of your sister? Yes, she was. Um, My sister's dad lived with us, and he moved in. And I looked, he was like the only father figure that I had. How old were you? I was three. Uh, he disciplined me. He, he looked out for me. He wouldn't allow me to call him dad, though. I was to call him by his name. Did you try to call him dad and he told you not to? Yeah. Wow. He's like, no, call me my name. So. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And it wasn't like, it didn't hurt me. It wasn't me. cruel. It no. was just a correction. Yeah. And um, to this day, like, I still have. A relationship with him I still love him mm-hmm. I still love him like he's 
he's been there for me. My mom gave birth to my sister. And I just remember, you know, like um, going to the hospital and seeing the, her. She was so cute. And I was like, oh, cool. And I remember her coming home and I was like, this is not cool. Take her back. I like being just me and my mom, you know, because it was like I was told I felt so forgotten. And I know it's just perception, you know, you know, when you have you have to give new attention to the new baby. But, you know, my mom never babied me. She never let me call her mommy. I was not allowed to call her mommy because she said mommy is for babies and you're not a baby. So I was like, I had to call her mom or mama, you know, but never mommy. I had this mindset, like, I, I never had like a real childhood. Wow. No, you didn't. Cause you, you had to, you're exposed to things you shouldn't have been very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So. Okay. So new baby's home. You're having a hard time with it. How'd that go? <laughs> well, they didn't take her back, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I learned to kind of like protect her. At that time, my mom had gotten more into alcoholism. So they would drink alcohol, her and my mom's dad. Um, Your mom's dad or your sister's dad? I mean, my sister's dad. I'm sorry. They would drink alcohol and they would get into fights. My sister's dad was abusive, you know, and so I grew up seeing this. Like I could remember seeing the abuse go on and think and crying I could remember crying and I could remember like my mom was so such a strong person that was the only time I would ever see her cry is if she was physically like abused but um other than that like she her emotion she was like stone-faced like she never really gave into any type of emotion unless she was really hurting and so, like, to see my mom cry was like, oh, my gosh, my mom is crying. Like, wow. What does this look like? They're drinking, they're fighting. Would you stay in the room and, and see it? Would you run away and hide? What would happen in those situations? So there would be times, like, they would, you know, as far as them drinking, like, we were, we were all around. We would never be, like, in the room by ourselves. What did like, they do for a living? My mother... She received a state income and income from the state. And to this day, I have no idea what my my mom's boyfriend did. <laughs> they were just always home. They never went to work. You were saying seeing your mom cry was like seeing your superhuman cry because she never cried. Yeah, she never cried. She was so strong. And so notably, that's how my childhood was. I could remember us moving um, to... I want to say it's Western Skies area. And my grandmother had gotten sick. Can yeah, I go back a absolutely. little bit? Yep. So during that time when they were drinking and fighting, my mom and my, I guess, I guess I could call him my stepdad. They were like, oh, you know what? It'd be cool if you, if um, she drank some beer. So they gave me beer. I remember being four. And I got sloppy drunk like I kept like asking for cups of beer and they were just laughing it was so funny you know and so we all were drunk it was them my mom her boyfriend and myself and we were drunk all of us and I could remember going to the bathroom 
And every time, like, I there was, like, a ledge because I was short, so I couldn't, like, turn on the light. I would step on the ledge to turn on the light. And every time I'd have to go to the bathroom, it got harder and harder to turn on that light because I, I kept getting drunker and drunker, you know. And um, I don't know if it's just something that, you know, young parents may have done and because my story is not isolated. Right. I've heard this happen to a lot of different kids, you know, and so I could remember rolling the whole, the whole house was spinning and I was on the bed and my mom's boyfriend had weights and, um, I would roll off the bed and my mom was like, you have to move the weights. Like she's going to hit her head. And, um, so by some miracle, I was able to stay in the middle of the bed and watch the, the world spin. <laughs> Wow. You know, and um and so I woke up with my my stepdad and he was like sticking his finger down my throat to make you throw up. Yes, and I was like throwing up. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so it was like So you're I, not even in kindergarten yet. No. I'm not even in school. I'm like nowhere near school. And so um I could remember my grandma. She was a Christian at this point. My okay. mom's mom. Mhm. And so did she live in the same city as you? Yeah, okay. she did. And um, my grandmother, she came over the next day, and my mom was like, "Don't tell her you got drunk." Because grandma's not gonna be cool no, with that. grandma's no. not having that. So did you listen? Like, yes, you it was very tell. hard though. <laughs> you know, whatever my mom was like, "Don't tell this and that." I was like, "Oh, oh just I just want to tell yeah, it." Yeah, sure. You know? Gosh, so your grandma's this is a reference point. You said something about your grandma getting sick. Is that where you're at? Yes. Okay. okay so like a, a year later. Okay. Um, she, you know, her health was poor. Um, she was heavy set. There was other things that were a factor in her life. And so she had gotten really, really sick. And I could remember at the age of six, this was two years later, her calling my mom and telling my mom, I'm going to die. I'm dying. And my mom was like, Mom, don't say that. Quit saying that. You're going to be all right. Like, don't say that. And she's like, no. I'm like, I'm dying. And she died. She died. So she knew it. Yeah. And so that sent my mom in a tailspin. Did your mom have her dad in her life? No. Okay. She never knew her dad, and she's never had a desire to know him either. Yeah. So that's a whole nother story. Yeah, sure. Yep. Yes. Usually these stories have a backstory and a backstory and a backstory. <laughs> your your grandma passes away. How old were you? Six. Six. And you're, it's been your mom out. So my mom, um, she's dealing with all of this, you know, mentally, emotionally. She has all this guilt, um, you know, for not being able to go see her mom, you know. And she didn't see her very often? No. She, she can't drive. She can't drive. She doesn't know how to drive. And then, like, she has two little girls. And I was behaved mm-hmm. as a young child. I really was a young child. But my sister was not. She she got into any and everything. So my grandma would be like, ah, my gosh, that little girl. Yeah, like, sure. so my mom didn't want to drag her kids over there and then have her talk smack about her kids. You know? Oh, I see. Okay, so she passes away and your mom's dealing with all this guilt that she didn't spend more time with her. Yeah. And so um, during that time, I could remember 
my mom having a very um and she she still was like kind of dabbling in christianity or like i don't know if someone was witnessing to her taking her to church what the issue was but she had gotten in contact with the potter's house and uh she they were watching those big three movies and so she was tell me what are the big three movies if a listener doesn't know there are movies about the rapture and Jesus coming back and Do the you know that those movies have been referenced in so many of my podcasts? <laughs> I think we need to bring them back. <laughs> we need to bring them back. Have you seen those movies? I think horrible. so. Like, yeah. And I'm pretty sure I saw them as a young child and traumatized <laughs> the, my life. The, <laughs> guy's, the guy's mustache is hanging off. No. <laughs> they chop her head off or something. No, I mean, the acting's really bad. Everything's just... I can't... Re- I haven't seen them in a long time, but I remember parts of them as a young child and the guillotine or something. Yeah. Right? And then, like... They need yeah, but, re- you know, they scared the hell out of a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So they... I mean, oh, it worked. Gosh. You, know? It, you know, there's something effective, but I don't know. We, in our PC culture. But if you watch work. them now, you will not think You're it's like, so great. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, that's really we gotta bad. we gotta we gotta bring it back new, yes, new and improved, new, new and improved. Anyway, so the big three, she she had watched those. Yeah, she okay. had uh, watched the big. Or three. the Potter's house was showing them. I don't really remember where we saw them. Um, I believe that her and my grandmother had attended a Potter's house at one point in time. Okay. Um, and they were maybe watched the movies together. I don't I don't know exactly what it was, but my mom always had this like dabbling in Christianity where she would like dabble but not repent. Got it. You know, and so during that time that my grandmother died, and I kid you not, my mother had a really bad spiritual experience during that time. And, you know, she does have history of like different things that she was involved in. Um, as far as drugs go and things of that sort. But I remember this specific situation. What um, happened? My mother was, we were we were there when we were talking, and she was telling me, you know, kind of just, I was her confidant, you know, and she was explaining to me, you know, about my grandmother dying and, and things of that sort and how she didn't want to drink anymore. She didn't want to drink alcohol anymore. And she wanted to give her life to Jesus. She wanted to change and I could remember falling asleep with me. It was just me and her on her bed. I don't know where my sister was, probably getting into something. <laughs> and I could remember a really loud knock on the, on the door and a really deep demonic voice um, that said, open the door or I'm going to break your window out. And um, I remember that part. But I don't remember anything else. Okay. My mother says, proceeds to tell me that she went and opened the door and it was either a possessed person or I don't know exactly how to explain it. She invited someone in her house that manifested demonically. She, from that moment on, she thought she could never be saved. Like, and she said that demon possessed person told her that the potter's house was the right church to go to yeah (laughs) and um whoa yes yes whoa because it's very discrediting for a demon possessed person to tell you to go to Uh that church oh my god exactly and um so she 
That was her first bout. After that happened, she became paranoid schizophrenic. We had my grandma's funeral. All that happened, we mourned. And then, like, she wouldn't go to sleep after that. And then she would be pacing the ground. She would take us walking the streets at, like, 3 in the morning. Like, she was out of it. Like, she would hear voices, be afraid of everyone. She thought everyone was the devil. Like, everyone's the devil. Everyone's the devil. At the age of six, I'm, like, looking at her, like, Mom, what's wrong? Like, I knew that something was wrong. Were you in school? During that time, she pulled me out of school. I was six years old. I believe so you're in first, in first grade. grade. Pulled okay. me out of school. Why? All I remember, because I never really talked to her about that. I just remember not being able to go to school. Okay. And then being, like, kicked out of our apartment or not having a proper place to stay even as a little kid, you remember knowing that something was wrong with your mom. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. She's she's not herself. She's hysterical. She's scared. Was she still with your sister's dad? Yes and no. Like, they were on their way out. <laughs> okay. So Was he living with you? He was living with us. He was doing his thing, okay. you know, and um, he had his had new girlfriends and, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff that he was doing on the side and... You know, that was like a toxic relationship, like it's a cesspool of toxic relationships. Yeah, exactly. Totally toxic. And so um, during that time, it's a a little bit fuzzy. I'm trying to remember. But um, I remember being put into this place. It's like an orphanage called the All Fate Home. And by yourself? No. Okay. It was me and my sister. Okay. So without your mom? Without my mom. Okay. So they, they took us away from her. Okay. Um, which was like my mom, like that was the worst thing that could happen to yeah. her. Like she, you can't, you take her kids, like, oh my gosh. So do you know the details of that? Did someone call on her? Was she picked up somewhere? You know what? I don't know. I remember my sister's grandmother getting us and we were able to go live with her. How long were you at the house? Um, the Allfades home? Yes. Not very long. Not very long. Like overnight or just a couple hours? or. I want to say it had to have been a couple of days. And Were you then, scared? Of course. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm never going to see my mom again. Like, and then like, Where was your sister's dad? I have no idea. Oh. <laughs> you have all these questions. <laughs> no, it's fine. I don't yeah. know what, where he was. Okay. But um, if he had anything to do with us going to his mom's house. So, um, but all that time, like... The adult stuff was so fuzzy to me. All I knew was that my mom was not well. She wasn't herself. She was scared. You know, she saw things and like, I could remember being so exhausted, like her picking me up, you know, and saying, walk with me, walk with me. And like, I remember coming to the West side where my grandma lived and my grandma's already passed away. And like, we're, you know, spending the night at her house. And my mom, I can't sleep because my mom's like, get up and walk with me. And so we're pacing the ground. And I'm like, I'm so tired. I just want to go to sleep, you know. Was she looking for something? Did she tell you what she was doing? She didn't. Like, I just, it was in, she wasn't in her right mind. So you get picked up from this house and you're going with your, your sister's grandma. Yeah. That's where you're at. 
yeah and i don't know what the history was there <laughs> but remember i told you about the kids that are violated mm-hmm. how they kind of gravitate towards each other yeah well i can remember that's what it was every day and so i and it wasn't like i wanted to do stuff like that but i can remember like there being like a 13 year old and like an 11 year old and you know and and having to deal with them every day the violations of that and so so you're and i respect that this is sensitive so it's okay if you don't i mean i obviously we're going to be somewhat vague but i do think it's important even for awareness for this kind of thing. So you're six, you're with your sister's grandma and there's two other kids in the house and you're being violated. No. Um, there's other kids there. There's tons of all, all the, the kids that have all been violated are coming together and they're deciding to be sexual. Yes. Okay. And there was like a shed in the back, you know? And so this is where we would play, but I could remember not liking it. Yeah, like not so, being into it. I'm curious about this because when you're so little and like right from wrong and everything, was there any conscience about it? Like in other words, would you feel like that was wrong? Obviously you're hiding it. Mm-hmm. So was there a part of you that knew it was wrong or were you too young to get it? Well, I knew it was, I didn't know if it, it was morally wrong. Okay. I guess I did in a way because like you said, we're hiding it. And I just, for me... At that point, it wasn't consensual. So I personally didn't like it. You know, I didn't like, I was like, I don't want to be here. I want to go home, you know, and I could remember my mom getting better and I was in school. And so when I was in school, she took my sister. My sister was able to go home with her, but I had to stay there at my sister's grandma's house. Because I was in school. And my mom lived on the other side of town. Oh, I see. And so I had to stay there and endure that. And I just, like, remember being, like, I don't like this. Like, I'm miserable here. How did you do in school? Yeah. Like, what was school like for you? During that time? Yeah. Um, It was fun. Like, we, okay. we go to school and, you know, we so had... So was we, it kind of like a reprieve to get out of that the house? Oh, Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the green eggs and ham and, you know, and <laughs> it was like songs and just fun times, you know. And yeah, I could remember, like, I couldn't wait to finish, though, because I wanted to go home. I wanted to go home. And so the, probably the agreement, probably the agreement was that you'd finish and then during summer vacation you would go back to your mom's. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. Yeah. And so um, my mom ended up getting better. I don't know if she got on medication or something. Yeah. So, um, and then later she ended up, you know, getting more into drinking, partying. So this was like about a a year later, uh, she gets pregnant with my third sister. So now you're seven, eight? Yes. Seven. Mm -hmm. So she gets pregnant with my third sister. Um, she gives birth to her while I'm, I'm seven and a half, you know? And so, um, and so I was like, yay, a new baby. Yeah, sure. You know, and so, you know, there was things that were going on, like physical. My mom was, my mom's a very, even to this day, she's a disciplinarian. 
you know, and I endured, you know, different types of abuse growing up. Of course, there was the sexual abuse, but there was also the physical part of it. I could say if I did bad things, they were always hidden. I was a good kid, but I did bad things that were hidden. Got it. <laughs> so when you say good kid, like you were, you would obey, like respectful, like stop doing that, you know, I was still come over here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in the background, you're doing things that you knew your mom wouldn't approve of. Yeah. So um, your mom, is she alone with three kids now? Um. Yes. Wow. Yes. That in itself is really heavy. Yes. That's and, a lot. You know, and she's yeah. dealing with her addiction to alcoholism and you know her addiction or her um struggles mentally but you know after the first bout when we went uh, to live with my um my sister's grandma I'm gonna call her my grandma because she treated me like that after that she was good it was like she had more of a drinking problem it's like the drinking got worse Mm -hmm. and so um when she gave birth to my sister my sister was my baby. I loved her. Mm-hmm. Um, I took care of her. Mm-hmm. You know, I always had her, protected her. I wanted to teach her how to read because I didn't really have anyone to teach me. I didn't have anyone to to care about my schooling or anything like that. It, it just was not so you had something. this little mama instinct even at seven. Yeah. Yeah, towards yeah. your sister. Yeah, mm-hmm. so... I wanted her to be better than me, better than the, I wanted her to have the opportunities I didn't have. So you're, you're aware of the fact that other kids have opportunities you don't have. Oh yeah. Okay. Most definitely. Just reference points at school and seeing other families, how they operate, that kind of thing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The school thing. Remember I told you I was out of school for a year. Yeah. So I failed first grade. Who failed first grade? (laughs) You know, and so I had, like, for other people, maybe you would think that that wouldn't bother you, but it bothered me. It bothered me that I was older than everyone else in my class. It bothered me that I, like, I failed. Mm. You know, I felt like like that's hanging over your head, kind of. Yeah. And so, like, with my little sister, I'm like... You're going to learn how to read. You're going to learn your ABCs. You're going to learn all this stuff. And I'm going to teach you, you know. And so I did that with her. And she was my baby. Like, she was always with me, you know. And my mom was content to let me take the reins. And uh, I was little, but I took care of her, you know. And so, I mean, in my head. Yeah, sure, sure. (laughs) You know, when I wasn't at school or busy doing other things, you know. So, but I could really remember this protectiveness and also my my younger sister there was that protectiveness there but she was still kind of like a scrub to me so I'd be like huh. but the baby was like oh this is my baby yes. you know yeah so we ended up moving to Montgomery area which was a little bit better for us we got away from kind of like the hood and like the bad people that my mom you know was around when so you- how do you move if your mom doesn't drive? I have no idea. <laughs> my mom, even to this day, she will get it done. Yeah, okay? she'll find it. Find a way. All right, connections. <laughs> yes. Friendship. All right, Yeah. I got it. Okay. So um, my uncle died right before we moved. I was nine when he died. And I could remember 
not feeling sad because I was going to get to meet my dad for the first time. They paid to get him out for a day for the funeral. So I remember, you know, going into the funeral home and to the side um, door and everyone is crying and sad. And I'm like with the biggest smile on my face and, um, you know, I'm nine and I'm like, yeah, my dad, you know, that's all that I care about is that I'm going to meet my dad. And so I remember them bringing him in and he's handcuffed. And um, he has guards, guards with him, and he has shackles. And I was just so ecstatic to meet him, you know, and I could remember sitting by him. And my dad has a deformity on his hand, and which kind of makes me think I could remember him just touching my hands and looking at my hands, maybe to see if they were the same as his and um he looked so much like me wow. it was like yeah now that i'm getting older i can see my mom when i look in the mirror <laughs> who's that <laughs> yeah but i look like my dad a lot like my dad i sat with him he had me sit on his lap and just it was like there was no introduction to our it was like so natural to know him, you know, and my mom, she had her situations with her ex-boyfriend and, you know, and things, but my mom always loved my dad. She just always loved him. And so, um, I remember her kissing him that day, like the, and like, he still had like girlfriends there that not, they at he, the funeral? Yes. Look, my dad is very handsome. Yeah. And then he's very confident guy, you know, okay. so he's, I don't think he ever hurt from female attention, you know, and mm -hmm. so I could remember someone being upset that my mom kissed him. This is your first memory of meeting your dad. Mm -hmm. And so you're sitting next to him at the funeral and then he put, he sat you on his lap. Mm-hmm. And he's just playing with your hands, looking at you. Yeah. Wow. And there wasn't a formal, like, this is your daughter, Natasha. No. He knew wow. exactly who I was. Wow. And I knew exactly who he was. Everyone is surprised to see him, you know, because mm -hmm. he's been gone for nine years. Wow. You know, so everyone's saying hello to him, you know, and... um how did that affect you in meeting your dad? Did you want to know him more? Yeah, I definitely, I always wanted to know him. I could remember like prior to meeting him, going to my grandmother's house, my mom or my dad's mom and uh, random guys would be there. Like my uncle, the one that passed away and I'd be, oh, are you my dad? And he'd be like, no, I'm not your dad. I'm your uncle, you know, and I'd be like, oh, mm. <laughs> you know, and just always wanting to know who he was, always wanting to meet him or talk to him and never having that opportunity until my uncle died. After that, shortly after the funeral, my dad writing a letter to my mom and saying like, if you have some other dude, that's fine. I just want to be, know my daughter. Wow. You know, and I bet that meant a lot to you. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I remember that. And, but my mom always loved my dad and 
she didn't lack for male attention. She didn't. And so my mom ended up starting a relationship with my dad in prison. And then they ended up getting married. What does that look like, marrying a guy in prison? (sighs) For others, it might look a little bit different. But for them, we would go visit him. And during their dating process, you know, they'd kiss and talk and, you know, and he'd call on the phone and they'd talk all the time, you know. And How often would you visit him? A lot. Okay. Like once a week or... I don't know exactly the time frame, but I do remember him being a part of our lives. Like, I bet that made you really excited. It did. I don't know how, but I could just say that it was God. Like God did that because there should be no reason that we should be a part of his life in there. But for some reason we are like we were able to, they were able to reconnect. They're still married Wow. They're still married. They're still fighting. (laughs) (laughs) But that is a trip. Yes, they've been married for, gosh, 30 30 years. Wow. Yeah. So when they actually got married, did they let him out again? Or did they have to do the ceremony there? They had to do the ceremony there. And then they would have like visits. Which um, the governor took those away, governor of New Mexico, when like five years ago, the prior governor, um, they were allowed to do like visits every three Mm -hmm. months where they would get like a trailer and kind of cook. They'd Um, cook. (laughs) Way to keep it PC. They would cook for him. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) The only thing that I can say is that my mom really loved him. Wow. Because like. She had other options, you know, but Mm -hmm. she really loved him. Wow. And how was that for your, do you remember that effect on your little sisters? Did your dad kind of become their pseudo dad? Oh yeah. My mom told my dad, it was at a visit and she said, if you're going to be with me, you have to accept my daughter, the youngest one, because the middle one's dad was always around. Okay. But she's like, you, she needs a dad. You have to accept her. And he said, yeah. And so he, he's always been a dad to all of us, you know, and it's weird, but he's parented us from there. Wow. Like I'm going to call your dad and he's going to tell you something over the phone kind of thing. No, she wouldn't be able to call him, but he would call. Oh, he called and then she could talk to him. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's been hard because there's been times where I've been very abrupt with him because he wasn't there especially mm-hmm. when I was wilding out you know yeah so because he entered your life when you were nine and then how old were you when they got married 10 so a year after that first encounter he was married to your mom again mm-hmm. or not again but after that point I could remember my mom getting more heavily into alcoholism uh, she was drinking a lot and she always our house was when I was younger, it was a party house. Like people would come there. We'd have like barbecue or Mexican cookouts and they'd have drinks and there would be music and, you know, they'd be dancing in the middle of the, you know, living room. And I could remember my mom saying, you guys stay in the room. And of course I was a good kid. So I would stay in the room, but my sister was not. (laughs) So she'd be in there dancing with the grown folks. So it's that middle child, I'm yeah. 
middle children. Yes, there's something about them. <laughs> so, yeah. But as I grew older, my mom got into um, deeper into alcoholism. My uncle moved in. My uncle, my relationship with him was kind of rock. He was, he tried to be a disciplinarian in our lives, but I don't think he really knew how. So it came out like he was kind of, he was, yeah, he was very abrasive, abusive. Yeah. So I dealt with that around 11, you know, and he moved in. So it was like a tyrant. Wow. You know, and so dealing with that and just, I can remember being so depressed and like not wanting to be alive anymore. Like, you know, and I don't think that the adults realized this was like actually taking a toll on us kids. Like that was a lot to deal with. And I, I could remember like, I have an uncle that's always been there for me. He's my mom's younger brother. I would beg him, please, can I just stay with you? I don't want to be here. Like, can can I please move? Like, I don't have my own house. Like, I have a girlfriend, and it's her house, and I can't let you. But he would come and get me, and I'd go stay over there, and you know, and um, he'd uh, I would have fun with her daughter. It was it was for me. Whenever there was anything bad, it was escape time. Mm-hmm. Like, if I could escape bad situations, that's what I would do. And so um, that went on for a while. And in in this new uh, place, when we moved to Montgomery, there was a lady that would go to church all the time. And um, she took a liking to me and my younger sister. My middle sister (laughs) was a bad girl. (laughs) So um, she would take us to church, though. And I saw in her, she... um, would take us to church on Sunday mornings. And this was a black church. There was, the music was hype. It was so lit. Yeah, it was lit (laughs) up in there. And um, I could remember us like getting dressed up, wearing dresses the best that we could. And she would, she would comb our hair. My mom wasn't really good with combing hair, you know, and then we were nappy little kids. So (laughs) So we were just always nappy, you know, so she would like comb my hair and relax my hair, put braids in it. And she kind of became like a mother figure. I don't know if she saw that my mom was kind of getting deeper into drinking and like into depression and things. And she just like stepped in. And I really believe it was God that put that lady there. I remember going to church and I remember going home and, and at night and just feeling like God had called me for something. Like I remember feeling that way. Like I'm special and I don't really understand. I remember feeling like, you know, I think God has something special for me. And I couldn't really articulate it at that point. But of course the enemy comes in. So mm-hmm. I remember like being so scared of the devil. Like <laughs> like the devil was like, oh no. Mm-hmm. Like I'd be washing the dishes and I'm like, oh, the devil's going to get me. You know? <laughs> it was like... I could remember like feeling a change. I don't remember preaching at that church. I remember singing. There was a bunch of singing. There was Sunday school. The family was welcoming. They had their potlucks and things that they would do but 
the church service would last like three hours on a Sunday. Mm. I've heard this. Yeah. Three hours on a Sunday. Yeah. See, they don't play. No, <laughs> but you know what? Mm-hmm. God was still there. Yeah. And I could remember feeling like I didn't want to be a part of the violated kids group anymore. <laughs> I didn't want to mess around. I want it to be clean. You know, I want it to be pure. And I just, her being around her, I saw the way she was with her kids. She would help them with their homework. If it was summertime, they had homework. She was very involved in their schooling, Mm -hmm. which was like opposite of what I experienced at home. And she was just attentive in different areas. So this lady lived in your apartment complex. Yes. Okay. And so you'd be at their house and see these things. Yes. Wow. Remember I said that when things got hard for me, it was always escape time. That was my escape. Mm -hmm. I would go to her house whenever I wasn't grounded or in trouble. And I was able to go over there and she would, you know, do my hair. She'd talk with me. She didn't, she said like the D word and the H word, but she never like used like bad language, you know. But um, she had morals and I wanted I wanted that kind of a lifestyle she never drank I could remember her asking though if I could come live with her that happened a lot you know there would she would be like ask your mom ask your mom if you could stay with me I would ask my mom and my mom would be like, heck no, like, you're not going anywhere. Like, and I'd be like, oh, like so bummed. I'm not doing anything. And it was you and your baby sister? It was more so me. Okay. My baby sister was, uh, she, you know, she did things for her too, but. So she'd come along, your baby sister would come along with you to church sometimes, but you were the one who was mainly at her house. Yeah. My younger sister came too, but she didn't have that connection with her. Got it. Got it. Got it. (laughs) And so I could remember my mom being, you know, like, no way. People want to take my kids. Why do I want to take my kids for, you know? Yeah. And so I was just like, no, I guess I can't. I don't know, like, you know, who asked somebody else's kid to come live with them? (laughs) But she backslid. Oh, And I could remember feeling so devastated. Wow. I was 11 at this point, 12. Maybe I'd almost turned 12. And she was doing my hair. Um, putting braids in my hair and her baby daddy came from I don't know where Texas or some place and he stayed with them and after baby daddy was there she was using the f word and I was like wow I had never heard her talk like that so god this is so powerful this is so powerful example of like who you affect when you backslide Mm -hmm. yeah it was devastating yeah. for me. I could remember wow. feeling like, oh, shoot. It's if... this like glimmer of hope in your life. And it wasn't like anything against God, though. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, who's going to take me to church now? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, I guess I'll just go be a gangster. <laughs> and we ended up moving across the street and kind of lost touch with her after she backslid. And so I had to learn I'm... 12 at this point things um, I'm getting into middle school things are getting a little bit worse at home the abuse and things going on and my mother at this point I don't know if she I just think she was depressed because she slept like all the time she drank and slept drank and slept 
And we always struggled like with, you know, our basic needs. My mom was a single mother and she didn't work. She had gotten, had one more bout with like the schizophrenia, but she was able to kind of overcome that a little bit faster this time. And so our stay at the orphanage slash, you know, (laughs) relative's house didn't last that long. She was able to bounce back. However, when she bounced back, she was like more depressed, I guess. That's the only way I can explain the reason why she would slept so much. She just slept. She was on camp. She didn't care about things anymore. It was weird. And so, and I would look at that and be like, oh, I want to be like that, you know? And so I always had friends that had food, <laughs> you know? So of poor my sisters, like, I was like, peace. I'm going to go find, <laughs> find some food. <laughs> Now that I think of it, that was pretty selfish as an older sister, like, (laughs) you know, but Cherie, my sister, middle sister, she was always on her hustle. Like she would come up with money. Like that girl had money all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Pregnant pause there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. She was like, I want to say like third grade, fourth grade, but she was showing up. Oh yeah. She was something else. My um, she's always had that that kind of stick and move mindset. Like Sheree takes care of Sheree. Wow. Yeah. So, and then you're going to your friend's house for food because there was food in your house. Mm-hmm. And my my baby sister at this time was kind of like fending for herself, and uh, so she went through a few things, a lot of things during that time, which I was oblivious to because I was too busy escaping yeah. my reality. I remember going to middle school and my best friend, she, she was, she was just cool. Like I would go to her house, you know, we'd eat her dad. I don't know if they kind of knew the situation I was in. I think you, you know, if you look at a kid and you're like, they're a little bit, you know, rough around the edges, they're unkempt, they're always hungry. Maybe, you know, something's going on, yeah. you know, and so he would, her dad told me, you know, anytime you need anything, anytime you're hungry, come over here. He was like, come in, get whatever you want. He worked for Pepperidge Farms. So it was like unlimited cookies, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I go over there, hang out, and we started sixth grade. And during this time, like, like I said, we struggled with our basic needs, you know. So like, I'm the, like the poor kid, you know, like. As far as clothing goes, I don't have the best everything. And I was the type of person that would never ask for anything. Never. My sisters, however, they asked for everything. And my mom is the type of person, like, if you ask her for something, she may not have it, but she'll get it. Hmm. But I never, like, I never knew that. It wasn't until I saw that they got stuff. (laughs) Wait a second. (laughs) You know, that I was like, hey, man, I could have been, you know, asking for I stuff. I need some shoes. <laughs> yeah. So I never asked. I always assumed we didn't have money. And like if there was projects in, in school, science fair projects or anything that required money, I just, I never asked. I assumed we were, we didn't have it. So like, you know, and then I wasn't really responsible and I didn't have anyone to be like, hey, did you turn in that assignment or did you do this and that? You know, and so I, I was a good student in school, but homework, 
you would never see homework for me. Mm -hmm. Like it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. You know? And so I remember being in um, middle school, being with my friend, um, the one whose dad um, drove the truck. Yeah. And she, they just came in kind of to their own, her, her and her sister. And they were like, started to be cholas. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I wasn't like, feeling the chola thing you know like i'm not I'm a black girl you know we don't do chola you know what i mean so i was like mm, i don't know about chola you know but so they started like you know the eyebrows and the dark makeup and yes i'm familiar right away like she had a boyfriend during um i can remember her walking through the hall with sixth grade hickeys all over her neck and a guy holding her from the back and I was like, oh, I want a boyfriend. Like just, mm-hmm. you know, it looked glorious to me, but I wasn't, you know, I just wasn't, I kind of like dressed like a guy, you know, I was like kind of like not boyfriend material, I guess, mm-hmm. at that time. So she, our friendship during that time kind of dissipated. She went her way and I went mine. And then when I caught up with her again, cause I started doing like really good in school. I had a sixth grade teachers that really cared about me and they would pick my brain. They'd ask me questions and they loved my answers and they loved my questions that I had. And I could tell they really cared about me. That was my focus was like doing good. And so when I tried to catch back up with this friend of mine, she had started smoking weed and she had the boyfriend and the, you know, and the hickeys and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, you know, trying to reconnect with her because... You missed your friendship. I did. I missed my friend. And so I remember her being in there royal. She's like, do you want to come smoke some weed with me? I was like, well, you know, my parents had smoked weed at different times. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll try it. Uh, I don't, I didn't get it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, Either we were smoking it wrong or... <laughs> <laughs> Like, I didn't get it. You know, I just, I was like, nah, I guess that's for the birds, not for me. So, you know, age of 13, I moved to the hood. We were always moving. What was that about? Always moving. Just, I just, it was just my mom would Did she just want a change of scenery? Or was it, was it being evicted? What was going on? It definitely wasn't being evicted. We were on public housing or, or section eight. And I don't know what why we would move a lot but we just did you know that i never asked so did you her. move school districts when you moved yes wow yes so i moved um and all the time we moved all the time and i was in hayes middle school at this time uh, we lived in the war zone right there on so i hear about the war zone all the time that's a nickname that was been given to it because it's like the worst ghetto or what is that about Yes. Okay. okay. So in the war zone, everyone's scratching their hands because they're looking for a fix and there's street walkers and... Who nicknamed trans- it a war zone? It's always been called that. Okay. I have no okay. idea where the... Because Vanessa, Vanessa is always talking about the war zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's right in the war zone. And I'm like, is there a war I don't know about? Like, oh, going there's on? definitely kidding. a war <laughs> there over there. There is a war over there. <laughs> Out of all her friends, like she was never on crack. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She never did crack. Her her vice was drinking. 
She liked to drink. Okay. She smoked her cigarettes. But so you guys move there and you leave the old school where your best friend is that you were yeah. trying to reconnect with. Yeah. I left there. I left also the really good teachers I had. Oh, man. Yeah. So um, when we moved to the war zone, my mom opened her house. She was just such a, she was kind of like a kind person, you know, like mm-hmm. and pe- uh, the kind of person that people take advantage of. So like we always had someone living with us, uncles, cousins, random people that would just come stay, you know. And so in the war zone, you know, you you open your house up to somebody and they're selling drugs and they're doing drugs. And then all of a sudden your house is a crack house. That's what happened. She let this guy move in and he's selling drugs, doing drugs. And then we have lines of people buying crack at our house. And, you know, I'm entering seventh grade at this time. I could remember just trashy people being there. My And I had family members on drugs too. So like, it wasn't like something that was foreign to us. They were crackheads on crack and stuff and and they would get high and they would give my mom money like for rent and stuff like that. But she never did crack. She was like, "Uh uh-uh. She saw the way they were acting. You know, she said that she saw people selling all their food stamps and making mush for their kids to eat. And she was like, no, I'm not going to smoke that stuff. Making mush. Mush, like cornmeal and water for their kids. And then using the rest of it to get find their habit. Yes. And so during that time, it just got crazy. You know, this guy's selling crack out of our house. This guy's doing crack. There was this guy that came, I guess the drug dealer that was fronting him drugs. And he threatened to shoot up our house, our apartment. And he said, if this guy doesn't have my money by this time, I'm going to shoot up this apartment. And so I want to say this was a summertime because I don't remember going to school yet. And so I remember gunshots right outside our door. And finally, my mom was able to kick that guy out, get him out. But some other crackheads moved in. (laughs) And the war zone, like if you open your house, like they will come. And so other crackheads moved in and there's this lady named Chelsea. Oh my gosh. I, her name needs to be said. (laughs) she was just a doozy of a lady like uh she was with men she was with women she was with like she did drugs she sold drugs everyone was her sister her brother her cousin her auntie her dad she had like five dads she was just like an habitual liar type lady and just just rough a user type a con artist type person and I could remember being in that environment and feeling like this is no longer my house and I didn't have anywhere to escape to (laughs) you know and so I had gotten involved in in this thing called Kaji there was a lady that had kids and Kaji was kids against drugs and gangs yeah and so we would do like little dances and I think she was just more like activities that she wanted to have her kids and something to do other than yeah drug use and I love to dance I was a dancer like and I was good at it you know so like any like kind of 
dance move that you could show me. Yes. Yeah. I could learn it and I was good at it. So we got into that kept us busy and it was kind of like a lighter side of things, you know, during all your new escape, my new escape. And there was also another neighbor that we lived by and, uh, they were ex Jehovah's witnesses, you know, and I could remember her telling me like about what the witnesses believed in, and stuff and uh I was like oh cool no hell that's awesome like I want to learn and my mom's all no girl that's a cult I I can always remember like that longing for something spiritual you know in me and so I didn't study with her thank god but (laughs) yeah (laughs) I had other friends there that I could kind of escape to their houses but not really because it was like in a gated place and we were all in the hood and so Right when I started seventh, I could remember being in my living room and my mom smoking weed. And she's like, she's like, Tosh, you want to hit this? I was 13. And I said, what? Because, you know, she had offered me alcohol before. And I knew like for some reason, like I was like, I don't want to drink. I don't think it's right for a 12 year old to drink. But when she offered me weed, I had tried it before. And even though I didn't get it, like I yeah. f- figured I did it wrong or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, no, I'm good, mom. And she's like, well, you can smoke weed if you want. As long as you do it and I know about it. As long as you do it in- with me. So I was like, wow, okay. You know, mm-hmm. and I started school, met this girl and they were fun. We would, you know, harmonize, sing and stuff and Mm -hmm. dance and do fun things. And she smoked weed. So she wanted to get me high. And because my mom told me that it was okay for me to smoke weed, I got high with her. And my schooling went down the tube. I no longer cared about grades anymore. I just remember going to high and thinking, oh, can they tell I'm high? Like, do I smell like weed? Oh no, the teacher knows I'm high. And I have no idea what they were teaching about. It was just about getting high after that. And so I remember like just going through that. We were still in Kaji, Kids Against Drugs and Gangs. <laughs> let, me, let me set down my blunt real quick. <laughs> Around that time was when I had my first boyfriend. He was a part of the Kaji thing. And he was younger than me. I think he was 12. Uh, I was 13. And so I was like wanting some attention, you know, an experience where my friend kind of ditched me, you know, and she had those hickeys and, you know, walking through the lawn. She always had a new boyfriend, you know, and I I didn't really get to experience that at that time. Mm -hmm. And so he and I, we would like hang out um, with all the kids. But it started like we, you know, would hold each other's hand, you know, when no one was looking because neither one of us was allowed to date. There was so your like, mom told you that? Oh, that you yeah. weren't allowed to date? Yes. Okay. My mom said I could not date until I was 18. Like I said, she never uh, sugarcoated anything. She said, girls come home with the babies and boys only want one thing. And so, no, you can never, you are not allowed to have boyfriends. You're not allowed to kiss. You are not allowed till you're 18. First, she told me 16, and then the closer <laughs> I got to 16, it was 18. <laughs> yeah, she bumped it. Okay. So you have your first boyfriend, and you guys are kind of just low-key, like, holding hands here and there. Yeah, holding hands. It was it was innocent. Sure. And we would tell each other we loved each other. It'd be like, I love you. You know, we'd always say that. 
And um, then we started kissing and, and holding hands and stuff like that. And I don't know what happened. I just know that we went from kissing to not liking each other anymore. Okay. And not only did we not like each other, but our parents started fighting. And they didn't even know you were dating? They didn't know we were dating. But That's because we were causing problems, we were like doing devious things to each other. Oh, okay. After you broke up, you were doing devious things to each other. Mm-hmm. And you caused this huge family against family. Yes. During that time, I started getting more into smoking weed. Weed smokers all... It's Congregate, a common... Yeah. yeah. It's a common a like-mindedness. Friend with weed is a friend indeed, is what we used to say. And so that was the thing that my mom allowed me to do that she knew about. I also remember during that time, friends that were 11, 12, 13, and these friends began to dabble with sex and do other drugs like acid and stuff. There was a gate around my apartment and my mom would tell me, you are not to leave the gate. And so uh, I would look outside the gate and see my friends and I thought they were having us. I was like, I don't want to be out there dropping acid. But that decision that my mom made really saved me from the destruction that they were a part of. Even though she wasn't saved, as long as she kept an eye on me, I was somewhat under control. You know, so yeah, I did smoke weed and and things of that sort, but there was a limit to what I was doing. And so I could remember finding other weed smokers. Like there was this lady, she was older than me. She was an adult and I was 13. And so um, she would, you know, let me go over and we'd hang out and stuff. We'd get high and they thought I was really funny when I was high. Her and her boyfriend would just laugh at me, buy me something to eat or whatever. But we just kind of hung out especially when I didn't have my boyfriend anymore. I felt like I needed another support group. And so I had her and then also my other neighbor that was the Jehovah's Witness, but she was like, kind of like, she was kind of a a crazy person. Like she um, was a rocker, but she was a black lady, but she was a rocker. And she's like, I don't like black men. And I, Like all of her kids were like all different colors and like literally (laughs) they were all different races and uh, she was just a wild lady and but she was really cool like she would allow us to hang out but like I couldn't like go over there and eat and stuff because she'd be like no you you go back to your house or she had her own like six kids that she was trying to mother. It wasn't long after that that I started like I didn't want to be high anymore you know, because smoking weed is like a downer. And it made me feel too much. I couldn't really escape my emotions doing it. I remember feeling like, oh, I, I want to stop doing this. You know, I feel so numb, like I'm not doing well in school. I just like, I don't like this anymore. At that point, how often were you getting high? Every day fully remember where I would get weed from but like it was like anyone who had weed was willing to share it was a culture you could make friends just because you had that in common it didn't matter their race their background anything 
if they had weed and you smoked, you guys had that in common. And so in the area I lived, it was very accessible. But um, I could remember on my 14th birthday, I got drunk. I, I don't know if my mom pulled out for me or who did, but um, I, I remember drinking that day and getting high. And um, just with a few, just with a couple of ladies, you know, they were a little bit older than me. And I remember thinking like, okay, so this is the last time that I'm going to get high. I, I don't want to smoke anymore. And I quit for a while. We ended up getting kicked out of that apartment. Of course, there was a lot of partying. There were people getting beat up over there. There were, you know, just people getting shot at over there. Like, of course, they didn't want to renew our lease. We were getting kicked out. And so we had X amount of time to find a place. And my mom, this time, she just wasn't able to find us a place. And she ended up getting kicked off of her um, Section 8. What's yeah. Section 8, if someone doesn't know? Section 8 is a form of public housing. It's different in the way that with housing, you have only these specific type of apartments, more like the projects that you can live in. With Section 8, they go more off of your income and it's a wider. You can live in a different types of apartments, like normal ones, but you pay a portion. They supplement so, kind of. Yeah, so we had been on Section 8 my whole life um, since I was, I believe my mom got on it when I was a baby. And so we lost our Section 8 at that time. And so she ended up getting us, gathering us, and um, putting all of our stuff that we could take with us in storage. And we ended up going to a shelter called Joy Junction. It was the most horrible time. I thought it was the most horrible time of my life. I remember um, being so stressed out and um, just like not wanting to be there. There were all these people like and, but it was a Christian place. Did have, they forced us to go to church, their services, and, you know, they fed us. We had food, um, we had a place to get toys, clothes, and things of that sort. But it just like the oppression of it, it was just not a good time for us. I could remember like my face breaking out so bad because I was so stressed out. And I was calling my uncle, the, the one that my mom's younger brother, that I had a really good relationship with. And I would call him and beg him, like, please, can I stay with you? Like, can we stay with you? And he was like, I can't. This, this is my girlfriend's house. Like, I cannot take you guys in. I'm sorry. I just remember feeling so desperate at that time. And um, there was this lady... <laughs> that was there, she was a blind lady. She had two glass eyeballs. And she had went there as a mission, like to be on a, like a mission trip almost. She came from another city. She was a Christian, born again. And she, she would sit there and talk to us about 
you know, just get to know us and tell, she told us why she was there, that she was a Christian and she was trying to, you know, help out and be of service and things. And I would look at her and she was totally coordinated <laughs> as far as her clothes went. She always washed her clothes and I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> did you ask her? Yes, I did. And she did that her mom when she packed, she packed everything for me, for her. So she was really a cool lady. Yeah. So it was like, there was that reprieve in the midst of the trouble we were dealing with. How long were you there? It was like a month, but it was the longest month of my life. And so we ended up getting into a motel. I stayed in this motel. It was right on Central and it was like roach infested but it was our own place, you know? So we're like, okay, you know, there was two beds, a bathroom. There was not really, I don't believe there was a kitchen. There was no, like, it wasn't like a kitchenette or anything. So we kind of had to eat out a lot. You know, it was a struggle for my mom. My mom made friends with a Muslim guy that lived there and he owned a store that was up ahead of us. And she would have a tab with him. And so we would be able to go in and get food, snacks and things of that sort. And um, she would just pay him every month off the tab, you know, if we ever ran out of food or whatever. And so that worked for a while. And then I got re, we had gotten reconnected with my sister's family. They lived on the West side. And my cousin, he's actually really my sister's blood cousin. We have the same birthday and we've always been very, very close, very, very close. And so we reconnected. And at this time, like, I really, really needed him. He was there for me. I could remember going to his house. And like I said, he wasn't even like, they're not my blood. They're my sister's blood. But I would spend a lot of time over there. So that became my, my next escape. He would give me clothes. He was, you know, he he was a guy. So he was a small, like kind of skinny, but he wore the baggy pants and the baggy shirts, you know. And so I wore the baggy pants and the baggy shirts. That's what he gave me to wear. I would braid his hair for him. He always made sure I ate. He always made sure that if they went and did some something fun that I was there and that I was paid for. He like took care of me. And like I said, our, our bond, we've all, we always had a bond, but it grew like really, really strong. Then I started eighth grade during that time. And I could remember like struggling to get to school. Number one, I was lazy. (laughs) So I didn't like to wake up in the morning, you know, and so um, I never woke up on time. And then I would have to walk. And to me, it was like, all far away to walk to school. But when I look at it, like I did, it just recently did a report like a year ago, or, um, and I was talking about my educational background. And so I, I looked up the map, and it was only like one mile but I thought it was like 10 miles I was walking. (laughs) 
a mile early in the morning that could seem like 10 yes exactly so needless to say I started failing again and then on top of that we were in not the best situation but it was a better situation than we had been um did you start the school year off in the hotel yes yes I lived in the hotel but, you know, I was, I lived in the hotel, but I was always with my cousin. With your cousin at his household. I would stay the night. I would stay as long as they would let me. And then I was like his little puppy. Like I'd follow him everywhere. The only place we didn't go together was a bathroom. You said you had the same birthday, same year as well? No, he's a year older. A year older. Okay. I'm dealing with that, going to school and then hanging out with him. I was 14. He's 15. And he's like really excited about sexual relations and stuff because he's a teenager. I could remember him talking about it and saying how great it was. I was like, you know, I was a virgin. So I was like, you know, whatever, like that's okay for you, I guess, but whatever. We would go to this thing called dance, dance, dance. It's a teen thing. And what that is, is something that Albuquerque used to put on to keep teenagers out of gangs and drugs, which people would do drugs there. So it really didn't work, it, but it was more like, like a underage club, nightclub for teenagers. So you'd go there, they put on, they have a DJ, they have music, they had it at the beach. So there's all these, you know, people in bikinis, beach water beach. Oh, okay each water park. So we would do that. We'd go over there or we'd go skating. Um, those were our Friday night, Saturday night activities. And um, I remember us going to dance, dance, dance. And I met young men and we ended up getting together. So that's like my second boyfriend. My mom had no clue about this. And the only reason I got away with some of the stuff that happened during that time is because I was hanging out with my cousin. So I wasn't under her supervision. I remember him breaking up with me. And I figured like, maybe it's because I'm poor. Um, because this guy was like, this guy had like a huge house. And, or maybe it's because I dressed like a guy. Because I was kind of like, remember I told you. Packy clothes and your cousin's clothes. Yeah, my cousin's clothes. So I started trying to, be more feminine. And we broke up, but like if I was ever around, we were hooking up. I could just remember one time going, going to my aunt's house, um, my, my cousin that we had the same birthday. I don't know exactly how my mom found out, but she found out that I kissed this young man. And my mom was at my aunt's house at the time. They were drinking. And my mom said, not allowed to kiss you're not allowed to have boyfriends and I remember her picking up her hand to slap me and she I mean she bam across the face and she dropped her beard and it shattered all over and my aunt was all what are you talking about my kids can kiss she's all she's a girl you have boys girls bring home the babies she's not allowed to kiss and so they were arguing. And I remember feeling so embarrassed because he was there. Like it, all that happened in front of him. Wow. I was 
super embarrassed, but we kind of like didn't really talk about it. So we went back to the dance, dance, dance thing. So it's this underage club. And I had mentioned to you that I could dance really well. So we started doing like routines for this club where we would do choreography or dances. And so we, we won first place in that dance. And it was him, me, my cousin, and then this guy named, I'm going to call him Chuck. I remember feeling very insecure because of that breakup, feeling like I wasn't good enough or I wasn't enough. We just continue to like have our meetings and hang out. Um, we go to dance, 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 you know, join, we do the little dance thing. I remember winning again, but it was second place the second time. So you still would see your ex-boyfriend, but you guys were just not together and you were still doing like dance routines and everything. Yes. Wow, that's hard. He liked me still, but he didn't like me or his girlfriend. And I started to feel like maybe, maybe this is how it needs to be. Like, I don't need to be someone's girlfriend. Maybe I can just like be just a hookup. We would hang out, go different places, like with my, with my cousin. And I remember after leaving that relationship, if you can call it that, my cousin bringing me around like a, a, another group of guys. And we were just hanging out. And I was like one of the guys. They would hang out with me and, you know, I just kind of insert myself in different conversations and kind of quiet, just watching and stuff. But I would be a lot of times the only girl there. I want to go back a little bit. My cousin was started getting very involved sexually with different girls. It wasn't ever in a relationship. They were all his hookups. Like he would hook up with different girls. And he'd tell me like, how come you're still a virgin? And I tell him, because I'm waiting till I get married. Or, and he's like, that's dumb. Like, why do you want to do that? That's stupid. You know, it's like, why do I want to do that? Like, I'm never going to really get married. You know, like, and did you get that idea from your mom that you should wait till you get married? Not the wait till you get married. My mom didn't want me dating. So I figured, you know, if I get involved in a relationship and I start having sex, then she might find out and she'll kill me. Get him off my back. I said, I was waiting until I got married. Gotcha. Okay. But it didn't get him off my back. And I remember there was this, this other guy that I was not attracted to at all, <laughs> but he like dared me to kiss him. Like truth or dare or something. And they dared me to kiss him. So I kissed him. And then we ended up hooking up that night. We ended up hooking up that night and some things happened that made me attracted to him. He became like a real stumbling block to me. I'm trying to generalize this because this guy later on became like my heroine. Like he would make me feel so good and then he would shame me and make me feel so low, publicly shame me. And he was never, he never wanted to be my boyfriend. He always said I wasn't good enough for him. And he would tell me that. And so it was, it was like, I remember thinking to myself, this is dangerous. This guy is dangerous to me. 
Like he's going to end up hurting me if I don't put up some shields. I could remember being in the car with my cousin. This was a summer where I was, I had just turned 15. And so we were looking into going into high school and I finally met a girl that was a friend of mine, (laughs) you know, and she taught me how to dress like a girl. She taught me how to do my makeup. And we were like, we were going to start this new clique called Lady Pimps. Because we were just going to do the guys like they do the girls, you know, and we were going to take <laughs> them and we were going to take their money and their weed or whatever and whatever we could get from them. And we were going to be living large, you know, so we were going to be lady pimps. Well, there was this time where my cousin and his friend, which was not the same friend that I hooked up with, the one that I thought was dangerous, but we were in the car with them. And um, my cousin really wanted to sleep with my friend. He wanted to have sex with her. And we were virgins, like both of us. We were, we were so dumb, gullible, dumb. And I could remember him saying, um, how y'all gonna be some pimps if y'all, if y'all some virgins? And we're like, yeah, how are we gonna be that way? Dumb. So because of peer pressure and the fact that I knew with that other guy, it was coming with that other guy, but it was going to be, I didn't want to give my heart to him. I had to protect myself, but it was mostly peer pressure. I lost my virginity that day. And it wasn't because I loved anyone or because I desired anybody. It had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with pressure and self-preservation. And so I know that God gave me a chance to redo that when I got married to my husband. But I could never get that back. I could never get that back. And it was something that was so precious that I threw away because of other people's opinions of me. I remember feeling like dirt and lower than low. And then also just wanting to justify myself, like, yeah, I did that. I did that. And what, you know? And so that young man, the one that was she, I ended up getting into relationship with him somewhat. It was, it was like a very toxic. It was toxic. Yeah. I never pursued him. I never seduced him. I tried to stay away from him, but it was like, if he snapped his fingers, I was there. It was crazy. It was like almost, it was bondage. I could remember him going to my aunt because he was very upset over that situation. He was upset that it wasn't him. And so he went to my aunt and he told her, he told her what happened. My mom would, you know, brag on the fact that I was still pure, you know, that I wasn't out. And so my aunt called my mom and then she's like guess what guess what happened and so my mom was livid my mom at that time was a big lady and she had a real short haircut she had dyed it blonde (laughs) when she found out that that happened she came looking down the street for me where all the projects were 
and she was carrying a two by four that she was going to beat me with. Oh my gosh. Uh, thank God I wasn't on that street. I was with my friend, um, the girl that like taught me how to, you know, be a girl. And she called me and she said, this boy said this and that happened. <laughs> and like I told you, I always, if before I was a good girl. Mm-hmm. And so there was something ingrained in me, like, you don't lie to your mom. I told her, yeah. You know, when I went home, thank God this two by four was gone, but she, she whooped me, you know, so I got a whooping. Not that it did any good, you know, because I'm like 15 getting a whooping. So I'm like looking at her like, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and then she grounded and I didn't leave. She told me not to leave and I didn't leave. So I stayed there in the hotel. We had moved to a different hotel by this time and it was worse at mice and stuff. So oh my God. I stayed there and I was just so depressed because you know, I remember feeling like I didn't want to do that in the first place, but I did. So I had to own up to the fact that I did that. We went and saw my dad. She told my dad about it, which was like horrible for me. And my dad said some really unsavory things to me. And he's never talked to me like that. But he was very, very disappointed because of that. And so I got back into the smoking the weed to try to numb the pain, you know, that I felt. And then I started drinking more heavily. You know, I had stopped doing all those things. But because of where my sin had taken me, the shame, I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with the shame of that. And so that's what I started doing. I started partying really hard. The way that our summer looked, (laughs) and I say ours because it was me and my friend, I go over there to uh, 60th Street here in Albuquerque. And I'd see her there and she'd have her 40 ounce, she'd have a cornrows in and we'd be, you know, smoking our little blunts and philosophizing about life and the stars and the signs and all this stuff. I remember getting like just so high, you know, with her. And I remember we were smoking weed with a gas mask at one point. And we had smoked like so much weed that day. And um, I remember feeling like, you know what, I'm going to start walking. So I started walking and I didn't know where I was going because I was, I was gone <laughs> out of my mind, just totally high. And um I walked and walked, and when I came to myself, I was standing right across the street from the door church. And um, they were having a concert. And it was like God was drawing me, and I was like, oh my gosh. I came to myself, and I was like, I'm not going to go to that church. It's a weird Spanish church. So I turned back around. Why proceeded. did it have the reputation of being weird? What did you know about it at that time? All I knew was that they would come down the street and preach. And I thought that that was weird. It was called La Puerta, and that, but they were inviting all of us. And like, we didn't speak Spanish. Okay, so you end up right in front of this Spanish church. And, and you there, feel like God's drawing you. There was, a, there was also a lady that would come to the motel. 
and she would invite us to church all the time. And this was like right before I had gotten involved in the things I was getting involved in. And so she would give me her testimony and she'd be all, oh, I used to sleep around. I used to do this and that. And I'm like, she think I sleep around? I, like I would totally ignore what she was saying about her and think like she's judging me. Like, But she always would invite us to church. And the only person she would get to go with her was my baby sister. And there was that lady that was preaching to me. There was the door that was street preaching every now and then. And then this, this situation happens where I'm drawn to a concert, but I don't actually step in to the concert. And so I could remember feeling like, you know, I didn't understand why I was standing over there. And almost like if I was in a trance, you know, and then coming to myself like, oh, no, I'm not going over there. You know, and there was other times where they'd come down the street and we were, you know, getting high like normal on this street. They'd pray with us and our high would be ruined. Dang, <laughs> we're yeah. sober. Yes, like I remember one time them praying with us and just like being totally sobered up and being mad. Like, what did they pray? Just prayed for you or you actually prayed the sinner's yeah. prayer with them? Or we prayed the sinner's prayer. We knew we were sinners and we needed to be saved, you know, so we'd say, we'd say the sinner's prayer with them. I could remember, though, after that, during that summertime, we had gotten really into some heavy stuff. You know how we were starting the lady pimps. We recruited a bunch of girls with us to hang out and be hoodlums. And I remember going to Smith's and just loading up bunch of liquor we'd have like duffel bags and or a basket full of liquor and walking out and I remember feeling like they're not going to do anything to me because if they come over here I'm gonna punch all of them and you know just like being like turning into like a really angry person you know and that, that happened several times. We would either do that to Smith's or we'd go to Albertson's and we fill up on liquor and then we have liquor to drink and beef jerky to eat and whatever else we were doing, you know. There was this lady or this, um, my aunt that I looked up to. My aunt to me was, she was never poor. This is my dad's sister. She was gangster. She still is. She was gangsta and I wanted to be like her. I, she always had nice cars. She always had the best shoes. She always had the nicest clothes, but she was rough. No one messed with her. No one. And she always had a bunch of money. And so to a struggling kid that's in poverty, like that's your goal. You never want to be poor. You know, I looked at my situation and was like, dang, I wish I could be like her. I remember as a kid, little kid, we were playing like drug dealer as a little kid, you know, and um, just mimicking some of the stuff to see. But when I got 15, I remember going, there were some guys that we started talking to on 60th Street that kind of like merged us into another group, group of, of people. And so 
these guys were drug dealers. They were gangsters. They were they were part of 40 Crip gang. And we always claimed that we were Crips anyway. And then we were also like kind of rough, humble. We would pick fights. We, you know, still, we, you know, we were just not very nice young ladies. <laughs> That's the kind of lifestyle we lived. So the next step to us was to sell drugs. I remember us hanging out with this group of guys and they were grown men. And I started dating this guy and um, he was 24 and I was 15. Oh no, he was 26 and I was 15. And um, he started giving me drugs to sell for him. And so I started making money selling drugs for him. During that time, on the other end, the lady that would take my sister to church, she was praying for us to get out of the motel. And out of the blue, my mom gets an inheritance from my grandma. And we're able to move out of the motel, own apartment, and which was a total miracle of God. And so um, we're living now like San Mateo, Catherine area, like near Gibson. And so it was a better area. I mean, we had a, an apartment. It was clean. There were no rats or roaches. Like, we were good. And, of course, all the family members come back. Because that's what happens when you have your own place. And so I started selling drugs for this guy. And my uncles, uh, I had two uncles that were on crack pretty bad. And then a cousin that was on crack. He was older as well. And so they would live with us. And it started that whole cycle again where these people are in our house and they're doing drugs. But not only are they doing drugs, but I'm selling them. I could remember like trying to find other people to sell drugs to in that area. And it was like, there was no one. So hard to find somebody. And so we found this dude. His name was Tree. And he had like one dreadlock in the middle of his head. And so Tree was... He was a crackhead, but he was undercover. So some, most, you know, crackheads, sometimes they'll sell drugs to get to supply their habit. And so Tree would make runs for us because we couldn't find any crackheads. I saw my aunt during that time that I was selling drugs for my, the older guy, my boyfriend. And I, I, I so I went to her and I was like, look, I was like, I'm, I'm out there, I'm doing this, you know, I'm selling drugs and stuff, like trying to impress her. And she's like, oh yeah. And she's like, come with me. She got me. I was in, I was supposed to be in school at this time, but she took me out of school for like a week and we went to Alamogordo. And so basically I was there uh, selling for her. But for her, I didn't get any money. It was just like, I was just selling for her. And she would leave me there with the sack and I'd distribute and give her back her money. And I was like, this isn't fun. Like, I want to go back home where I can party and have fun, you know, because I'm over there, my hair, like my hair means a lot to me, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I don't have hair products. Like I'm looking all crazy and stuff and I'm like ready to go home. Finally, she takes us back home. And um, when I got back home, right away, there was a house party at my friend's house. And she, her mom was a, a, like kind of like mine in the way that they allowed us to drink 
or they allowed us to smoke weed as long as we did it in their house you know so that way it wasn't like we were out getting in trouble doing it and so that's where the house party was the mom was like coming in all drunk play pop and grind and like we're like no like get her out of here like trying to get her out of there and my phone rings or my pager rings and it's we didn't have cell phones at that time and it's my aunt and she's like come with me to Las Lunas I'm trying to talk this guy out of going out of town or her stepson or something and I'm like ooh, like I don't want to go I could remember thinking like I don't want to go she was like just come with me so she comes and I said yeah because you know, if I ever said yeah to anything or she said she was coming for me, she usually didn't show up. She showed up that day. And so I get in the car with her and we drive to Las Lunas. And I could remember thinking that night, just feeling so depressed. You know, I'm, I'm recounting, you know, my failed relationships, the, the drinking, the weed, you know, and I'm like not happy with me at this time, you know, and I, and I'm reflecting on that because I'm sleeping in a room by myself, like on a floor, (laughs) you know, she had a brand new trailer, but it was like unfurnished on there, you know, just kind of reflecting me. Like, I don't, I don't really like, like the way my life is going. And when we woke up in the morning, we all got in the car and she got onto the road to take us home. And lo and behold, she was on the wrong side of the road. We got into a bad car accident. That's where the scar on my forehead came from. And I broke my phone. I was hurt worse than anybody in that car accident. And uh, when I opened my eyes, like everyone was out of there. So I had to push myself to get out of the car. And my, my leg was huge, you know? So when I looked at my leg, I was just like about to pass out again, you know, just by the way it looked. And so the ambulance comes, they cut off all my clothes in broad daylight, throw me on like a board, a stretcher. They're trying to take care of me, but I'm like cursing at them and, you know, not being a very nice individual because I wasn't a very good girl, (laughs) you know? They get me to the hospital. I have a neck brace on my, I had to go into surgery right right away and just like, I was really in a bad situation. As soon as they brought me out of surgery, I remember my mom, she was there. I opened my eyes and, um, and she's, she, I don't remember what she said to me, but she was at my bedside and I, I threw up, like woke up and threw up. And they wheeled me into the hospital room where I was to stay. And I ended up staying there five days. And I remember I was so vain. The only thing I cared about was the fact that my face was messed up. I could care less about my leg or anything. I was just like, oh, I'm going to be horrible looking hideous. Oh, my gosh. My face is all scratched up. They're like, dude, what about your leg? But I remember just being there in the hospital for five days. My aunt comes in and she's like, with her joint, we're getting high in the hospital. Oh my God. 
Yes. And she was the one driving? She was driving. Was she remorseful about that? I don't know. Um, she was pretty hurt. Her son got his leg broken. It was an accident. Uh, even though she got on the wrong side of the road, she was sober. So oh, you know, she was. I think that was the problem. She was never sober. So <laughs> <laughs> so you know, she's like, "We'll be all right." You know, we're all getting high in the hospital. And, oh gosh, what's wrong? Oh my gosh, cause like. And then I got another visitor, which was the preacher. That lady that would come to the to my um, motel room, the one that prayed us out of the motel, her husband came to see me. Said, "I think it, you know, God, this is a testimony, and God is trying to tell you something. You need to give your life to Him. You need to give your life to Jesus." And I was just like, "You know, maybe <laughs> I could have died. I could have died. God didn't let me. You know, let me die." And so, um, and you had never met this man before. You just knew his wife from coming to your hotel and from taking your little sister to church. I had seen him once before. I knew who he was. Um, and he would always try to talk to me as well, you know, so it was a joint effort, but, uh, they were very evangelical. They weren't a fellowship church either, but they were definitely into reaching the lost. So and he so, tells you that and you're thinking maybe. Yeah. Like maybe I need a change. And so when I got out of the hospital, it was right before my 16th birthday that this happened. I think it happened like in March. I remember telling my my friends, I don't want to smoke weed no more. I don't want to smoke cigarettes no more. I don't want to drink no more. And they're like, dude, you just broke your leg. Not a big deal. No, I'm like, I don't want to do any of that anymore. But of course, I had no power over my sin. So I was back doing all that again. I could remember just evaluating my life. And so when I got home, um, I'm on the walker. And before, actually before I got home, there was a man that, um, he was a cab driver. Uh, He heard that I didn't have shoes because I lost my shoes in the accident. And um, he said, uh, well, can I buy you some shoes? You know, is the cab driver taking me home from the hospital? He said, yeah. He's like, what, what size do you wear? So I told him the size. And he said, well, what color do you want? And I said, black. Give me some black shoes. And um, he came to my house with white shoes. And he said, I got you white because you've been in the dark long enough. And he gave me a little witness but I knew exactly what he meant and so um the preacher that came to visit me came back not long after that and was like you need to come to church and you need to give your testimony that that God saved you from you know you could have died and so I made it up in my heart I'm gonna go visit this church and I will stand up and give my testimony you know I could have died but I remember um, before that happened, I was standing in my kitchen, my living room, and I was on the phone with my friend, and she was like, "Your boyfriend, the twenty-four or twenty-six-year-old guy that I was dating, mm-hmm. 
No, um, she's, she's like making quotation marks right now. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, he has a wife. And I was like, a wife. Oh my God. And so like I fainted and it could have been the fact that it was on Percocet and weed, but I, I actually fainted. Wow. He of course wanted to get together, you know, and I asked him about his wife and he said he didn't have a wife, that that was a lie. He didn't have a wife. So I'm hurt. I'm on a walker and this dude wants to hook up. But um, I went to church um, and this it was an apostolic church. And the pastor uh, would drink orange juice. I remember it. instead of water, he'd always have like some orange juice. The, the wife had to wear a hat and she couldn't wear makeup or anything like that her praise like she really needs it I just knew like that lady she had something that I that I wish I had she was an inspiration to me even though I was living the way I was living and I told the the pastor I said um there's a lot of things you don't know about me I said um and he's like you know what Natasha is like God showed me some things about you so there's nothing you can tell me that's going to surprise me. And so I was like, what did God show you? You know, like he's judging me and stuff. And so, but I, I, I started to attend church here and there, there, it wasn't like a faithful attendance. You know, I of course went and told the testimony that, that I was saved from the car accident, that I didn't die and stuff, but it was like, okay, that was my token visit doing my thing. I remember going, like having my birthday party. And like I told you, I love to dance, but I had a broken femur. So the fact that I couldn't dance was like so depressing to me. The fact that I was on a walker was so depressing. I couldn't do the things that I was doing before. And I just felt like so depressed. I could remember just going kind of like in a downward spiral, you know, like, mean to my friends my friends would like try to wait for me you know because I was hobbling them around and I get mad at them because they wait for me you know and then I curse them out and you know it was just just mean just hard to deal with really difficult to be around and um it wasn't long until like I kind of like forced myself to get better sooner I was really really um stubborn about walking and doing things on my own um and so I finally you know got better I did have a tutor that would come I wasn't doing well in school in the first place but there was a tutor that would come and um tutor me and I'd be all high you know she'd be all did you read um what's the book to kill a mockingbird and I'd be like I read it so, and then she'd be asking me questions and I'd be like, I don't remember. <laughs> Why did Atticus do this and that? I don't know. I don't remember. She's like, are you sure you read To Kill a Mockingbird? Well, she gave me a half a credit, I think, because she felt bad for me. But I still had that relationship with that older guy. But he was playing games with me. He didn't want to be in a relationship because at this time, I was wanting just to be loved. But he was messing with me, really. Was he going to make me his girlfriend? I was 15. 
not serious. And I, here I am thinking that he's serious about a relationship with me, you know? And so I started to show him that I didn't care about him. And so I talked to other guys or date his friend or, you know, hook up with his friend or whatever, you know? And he's like, what? All getting mad. And I'm like, you're playing games with me and I'm not about playing games. If you don't want to be with me, then you don't want to be with me. No, but tell me because I don't like games. That started another tox, another level of toxicity to our, our relationship. So I remember like after that point, um, him picking me up, he picked us all up and we were supposed to be hanging out that night and he came and he talked to me. He's like, are we going to kick it tonight? And I was like, no. Like, I don't want to. The other girls went home and he took me to a motel. And he, some stuff happened that I didn't, that I wasn't consenting to. And so I remember feeling like really like, yeah, the next morning I'm dirty. I'm just not happy with myself or my situation. And we were smoking because we always smoked weed. I remember being like so high. Like, I didn't know where we were going. And he was driving me to my friend's house. And I remember walking into the door and hearing them talking smack about me, you know, saying that I was a whore and just things about me. And this was like, I could hear my cousin and my my child, like this girl that I grew up with in childhood. I've known her and hung out with her since I was seven. And they were talking about me. So they didn't know I was there. And usually I was a spitfire. If anyone talked smack about me or did anything, like I would go over there and there would be a fight. Like, But I wasn't feeling it that day. I was just like so depressed. And I walked to my friend's room and I remember her being in the other room with her boyfriend, this other guy that she was talking to. And so I closed her door. And I don't even think they knew I was there still. They didn't know I was there yet. And I remember sitting there crying and just thinking, like, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't, but I don't want to die because then if I die like this or kill myself, then I'm going to go to hell. I knew that. Wow. But I don't want to be alive anymore. And I could remember, God, you know how people say they don't ever hear God speak audibly. God doesn't speak to people audibly. Well, he spoke to me. I remember him telling me, he said, um, it's your sin. And I was like, sin? And I'm thinking this is in my head. And I was like, dang, maybe I should go to church. And I can't remember the exact words he said, but he said something about getting my sin baptized off me. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I should go to church and get baptized. And then he said, do you feel that? And at that moment, I felt like a heaviness, like a weight. Like if something was sitting on my back and I was like, what is that? 
And this is when I started to realize that this is not just in my head. And he started to lift the burden off of me. That heaviness, I felt it lifting. And then I felt hands like caressing my back. Then I could hear a speaking of a tongue that I didn't understand. And I knew that it was God. And at that moment, like, I didn't even know if there was really a God before then. But when that happened, I knew. And I always say this, like, I was so stubborn that God himself had to come down and save me. I was so stubborn that God had to come himself. So I remember his hands in the speaking of a tongue that I didn't understand. And I just sat there and allowed him to minister to me. And when it was over, I felt so clean. I felt so brand new. And I got up from the bed and I felt so light, so light. I believe that I ran all the way home. I was never the same never the same after that but I didn't change right away because I didn't know how during that time that that happened to me I could remember telling my friends like I'm gonna change my life I'm gonna start going to church and I remember shortly after that I went to that church where my little sister was going and they were doing a baptismal service. So I got baptized, but I didn't really understand the significance of it because I remember getting baptized and, and then going outside and smoking my cigarette and um, thinking, okay, I did what God told me to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. But he wasn't done with it. So after that, that situation, after I got baptized, I remember like trying to get high, like trying to smoke weed. And I never got high after that. Burnt. Like, and I would just be burnt. What that means is I would be tired and hungry, but not high. Like I could not get high after that. Wow. And um, the friend of mine said that if you have a price tag, that the devil will pay it. All I wanted to do was to be loved. I just wanted a boyfriend that would love me and that would take care of me just to be in a relationship with someone that was there for me, that loved me. A few days after that situation that, that happened at uh, my friend's house, I could remember um, going into Smith's and I saw this guy and he was like, he was very good looking. And so me and my friend were trying to get his attention and he was like happy to have our attention, you know? And so I gave him my phone number. Like I was kind of shy with him. I gave him my phone number. And so we started dating. And before him, I had never like given my heart to anybody, but I decided, well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's why I can't find anyone who's going to love me. And so I decided, you know what? I'm going to really give my heart to this guy. I'm going to try and I'm going to be a really good girlfriend for him. And so we started dating and 
uh, seeing each other and then seeing each other more regularly. Like he took me on dates. He, uh, he bought me clothes. He was like, he was a sweet guy and he dressed, he wasn't like gangster. I was used to hood, thugs, gangster. This dude was a Muslim and he dressed like a church boy. Like he actually wore like, like dress shirts with ties and, and stuff. And so it was like, I thought of, okay, this guy's different. He's different than all the other guys. And, um, and he was for a while, that relationship came to an end. He broke up with me and I could remember after him breaking up with me, backtrack before we broke up, I snuck him into my house. And the next day after I snuck him in, um, you know, we snuck him out and um, I went to school the next day and I can remember being like so tired. And so I went home and I laid down and um, I felt something like shake at the bottom of my bed. And I looked up at the time and it was 6.51. And then, um, so I went back, closed my eyes again and I felt something get on top of me real heavy. And it, it was paralyzing. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't speak. I couldn't move. And all I could think was, Jesus, 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 please help me. And finally I squeezed out Jesus' name. And that presence left. Well, the following Sunday, I went to church and I told the pastor what happened. And he said, did you have someone new over your house? And I was like, yeah. He was like, whoever you had over your house brought demons. I had thought, there's no way he has demons. Like, this guy is so good and nice. And <laughs> there's no way. He broke up with me, um, but the relationship never ended because we were always together. So we were used to being together. God, when you're 16, 16, my mom had given up on the no boyfriends thing at this yeah. time, whatever, <laughs> you know, don't bring home a baby or whatever, you know, but as you remember, I snuck in. So she wasn't like, oh, that I could remember God dealing with me. Like I said, I was never the same after that experience. And I remember laying in bed and thinking, oh, Jesus, please forgive me. I know I'm, I'm not living right. Come into my heart. You know, and I say the sinner's prayer and uh, ask God to please help me and to forgive me. And, you know, just because I knew that I wanted to be right with God and I wanted to do right. But like I, I also wanted my sin. I wanted what I was doing. And so, um, but God would never leave me alone. He never left me, never left me alone. And so um, later on, as he kept coming over my house, I remember this specific situation where he was just being kind of devious that day. And I didn't know, I mean, it was, it was never in the day, it was at night yeah, at my house. And it was one of those specific days that God was dealing with me like really heavy to get right. And I was like, and I told him, I said, we shouldn't be together, sleeping together. And he was like, why? And I was like, it's a sin. He was like, it's not a sin. I was like, it is. The Bible says it's a sin. And he was like, nah, whatever. Like, it's not a sin. 
that same day we were in the bathroom together and he like followed me in the bathroom the lights were off and I'm looking into his face and I can see demon in his face and it scared me so bad that I left his butt in the bathroom I would be like God please forgive me God please help me and like but you know when the opportunity came I would fall back into sin with him because he was the only guy that ever given my heart to that I actually gave my heart to and so I ended up going back to my my old life you know I wouldn't smoke weed with my friends because I had already told them you know I wasn't gonna smoke but I'd smoke by myself and even still I didn't get high I don't know why I would smoke but I didn't get high anymore I went back to selling drugs, but it was like always an opportunity to do sin whenever I wanted to get right. Like I had of him coming over. And then when he'd stop coming over, then somebody would give me some drugs to sell. So I'd sell drugs. And then when I would get convicted about that, I would go back to, you know, just, it was just always something from serving God. And in your head, you're kind of like, all right, I'll just sell this and then I'll serve God or I'll just one more time and then I'll serve God. Like you always, you yeah. kind of had that heart wanting to, yes, but wanting. you're just in the rat race. Mm-hmm. And not knowing how to change, like not knowing how to get out of that. I remember there was this church, like the pastor of the church that, that I was going to, he and his wife, I guess he backslid. Oh man. Had a moral failure. And so he took his church, his whole church, and grafted it into a larger, more charismatic Black church. And, you know, I tried going there, but I, it, I mean, it was, it was different. They would run around the church and just for fun. It was for funsies, not worship. You know what I mean? I do remember getting filled with the Holy Ghost there, but I also remember like going there and there was a guy that I was dancing with at the club and we were not nice dancing. Okay. And this dude's in the choir. And I'm like, Ooh, like how am I going to change if these people are not changed? I didn't understand. Like, I'm like, doesn't, is there anybody that knows that God is real? God is real, you know, and I don't know how to change, but I need someone that knows that God is real, that can show me how to change. And so there would be times where I call for a ride for that church to come pick me up, but no one would come. And they had, you know, so it just would happen like that. And then there was always opportunity to sin in the environment I was in. That that happened, I want to say November to February. I remember being very heartbroken over my ex because he was buying all this stuff for his current girlfriend, but yet he kept. Wait, the you know, Muslim guy or the Muslim guy? Okay. When did you guys I had break up? Ties with everyone else. You ended up breaking up with him? He broke up with me. He just told me that uh, he gave me some lame excuse that he was still caught up on his ex-girlfriend or something. But even though he broke up with me, He was at my house like every day. So it was confusing to me. He began to just use me, I guess you can say. He was always at my house. But then he started, he showed up one time and had pictures of this other girl, which was not his ex. 
And so he started a whole nother relationship, but he was always with me. I don't know how he started a relationship or carried a relationship with her when he was with me every day. It was weird. And so during that time, it was Valentine's Day. And he, he had told me, he was like, we're going to go, I'm going to go get my girlfriend some stuff. And I was like, oh, can I go with you? You know, because we were friends, but we were more than friends. And he was like, I don't think this is a good idea for you to go. And I was like, oh, I can handle it. Like, I can go. And I ended up going with him. And like, just that was like a huge mistake. I remember like my heart just being ripped into seeing all the stuff he was buying for her and, you know, all and at that time, he was still using it. You were still sleeping with him. Yes. Oh, my God. That's wicked. Yes. Wow. I went home that night, and I was just like, oh, bag it. I'm get drunk. You know, and I hadn't really drank. Went back to the drinking thing, uh, like, on a full-time basis. But I was just like, you know, I was, hurt. I was that hurt. Like, I was like, let's go get drunk. So dressed up, got drunk that night, and. It was what it was. Another friend of mine, I kind of like cut off all my friends when I was in a relationship with them. And this, this other girl, we kind of connected. And, and plus, you know, remember I told you I heard them talking smack about me. That was not cool. So like, I was like, whatever. I don't, you know, you guys are fake. I built another relationship with another friend of mine and we kind of were just doing our own thing. This girl was about her money. She's a little Spanish girl, very cute, took care of herself, but she was about her money. And she probably still is to this day. And so she got some dope and she started selling. And she's like, I'm going to help you come up. And I was like, okay. So she gave me a sack and she's like, I'm going to help you come up. And so I had a sack and I started selling. And this was the first time, like after I gave her her money back, this is the first time I was selling for myself because um, you're supposed to, when you're selling for someone else, you're supposed to take half of the money and they take half of the money. And with your half of the money, you're supposed to start on your own, but I never did start on my own. I always like spent it. Yeah. Spent yeah. it, you know, and then ended up having to do the half and half thing. But I started selling for myself and like I was making money, a lot of money. And there's this thing of scripture that I have. I still have it to this day. I'm looking for it. I think I might've brought it in, but maybe not. <laughs> and so these scriptures, every time I really wanted to have a conversation with God, God would speak to me through these scriptures. And I could remember like having a big sty on my eye. And I, had, I basically went back to my old life. I went back to selling drugs. Went back to drinking, smoking weed here and there. And my, my old life was just, you know, even in light of the experience I had with God. And so with these scriptures, I had a sty on my eye. And I was like looking at my eye. And I'm like, oh, look at my eye. And so I pulled out one of the scriptures just randomly. And it said, God will wipe away all the tears from their eyes. And so I felt like God wanted to talk to me, you know, and so I started giving him every excuse why I couldn't serve him. 
and is like, I can't serve you because I, I need money. Like I already dropped out of school. Like, how am I supposed to support myself? I, I don't have a job. I smoke weed, so I can't go get a job. Like, how am I supposed to support myself? And I pulled out another scripture and it said, and my gosh, shall, shall supply all of their needs according to in Christ Jesus. And so I was without excuse, like every excuse that I hit God up with, he hit me back with the reason why. Where'd you I, get this thing? What was this? It was like one of those table things with little scriptures or what was yes. it? Yes. In fact, I want to get it and show it to you because uh, I still have it. Same one. Wow. That's one. so cool. Yeah. So I was like without excuse and I was feeling like, well, okay, God, you know what? I'm going to try you now. I'm going to actually, I'm going to do this. I said, but you got to wait till I get my hair did. <laughs> Something is dope. I'm about to get my hair did. This lady has stole my hair. <laughs> she stole my hair and I was like going to get her back because I was going to get my hair done and she was going to be envious of my hair. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> priorities here <laughs> <laughs> anyways I finished selling my sack the drugs that I had I made an appointment to get my hair done the day okay so backtrack a little bit right before I told God that I was going to serve him I said do you have to send me to a church I need to go to a church where people know you're real and that I can see them serving you because I don't know how to change and so the day that I went to go get my hair done, after I sold all my drugs, I went to go get my hair done. I am turning the corner onto Anderson Street. And I turned that corner and I'm thinking about all the clothes I'm going to buy and all this because my spot blew up. And what I mean by that is like, there were you got a, a lot, lot of new customers. Yes, I had a lot <laughs> of new customers. So as I'm turning that corner, Patsy walks up to me. She's like, hey, can I tell you Jesus loves you? And I was like, ah! <laughs> oh my God. It was so divine, the appointment. Had it had happened at any other time, it wouldn't have been as powerful. Wow. Oh God, I would get saved after I got my hair done. He was like, okay, now you're going to get saved. I had just gotten my hair done. Oh my gosh. I was walking from the lady's house and back to my house. Wow. That is amazing. Okay, so tell me about this. So Patsy walks up to me and she's like, Oh, can I tell you Jesus loves you? And I was like, jaw drop. It could have been hanging on the floor. Really quick for our listeners, Patsy has popped up in a couple of our stories. Robert Chavez's story. She was the lady who ran over the kid and he came back to life. So this is the woman that you had ne- are now encountering. Yes. And so whatever she said, she gave me a quick witness. And then she asked me if I wanted to pray. And I prayed with her on the street corner and I received Jesus Christ on Anderson Street, February 1999. My course was changed, like totally changed. She told me, she's like, do you want to go to the store with me? I'm going to 7-Eleven. Do you want to go with me? And I'm like, sure. You know, I have nothing else to do. So I'm walking to 7-Eleven with her and she's just so vibrant, full of life. And um, then she followed me home to make sure I lived there. And she's like, we're going to have a rap concert tonight. Do you want to come? And I'm like, sure, you know, rap concert tonight. And she's like, so 
I can pick you up at this time. So she picks me up at my apartment. And um, we go to this whack rap concert. It was so whack. <laughs> but she prayed with me again at the altar there. And I remember going home that day. And there was this other guy that I would hang out with sometimes. I mean, there was no chemistry between us, but he tried to make there be all the time, you know, but I, I never really liked him. So anyways, I saw him at the mall when my ex was buying everything for his then girlfriend. And so I clung to him and I was like, or we decided that he was going to come over and hang out. So he came over and hang, hung out with me that night after the concert and we smoked because that's what we did. And then my ex calls and he's like, can I come over? And I'm like, no. And he's like, why? And I'm like, because I have a friend here. And uh, apparently he got in a bunch of trouble with his dad. My, yeah, my ex had gotten in trouble with his dad. And so he ended up the next day asking my mom if he could move in my house. No. And she said, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a, you know, the devil was gunning for me still. When you get saved, it's a battle for your soul. My house was still kind of like, it was still a crack house. Um, there was still drinking and drugging there. Then my ex you, moved. You essentially have, have to relearn everything at this point because, because every part of your lifestyle was wrong. You know, and so, I mean, who are you if you don't do these things, if that's what you've been doing for so long? Yeah. Right. Yes. And I, but remember, I prayed for a church where, where I could see people living for God. Yeah. And so when Patsy prayed with me, that wasn't it. She would call me all the time, invite me out to eat. You know, we'd go, she'd show me how to witness show me how to lay hands on the sick. How did it go when, so your ex-boyfriend moves in with you? I know you're kind of generalizing when you're talking about it, but tell us a couple Patsy stories. How did you make it through that? Did you share that with Patsy that he had moved in? Oh yeah. She, Patsy was not fond of him. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) and she told him so. She was not (laughs) fond of him at all. She'd be like, he had all debonair, but he's not. And um, so during that time, she she would just come and get me for church. And whoever was there, Patsy was preaching to them. Whether it was him, my mom, she didn't care who it was. They all heard the gospel. If Patsy came and picked me up, anyone in the, anywhere near me heard the gospel. And so I just started going. And I made it up in my mind that no matter what, I was going to go to church. Just that one thing. And also I was going to quit selling drugs because you couldn't be a Christian drug dealer. I knew that it doesn't go together. You can't be a Christian drug dealer. So those were the only two things that I stopped doing right away. I started going to church and I stopped selling drugs. And so Patsy would just, she would just encourage me, you know, and she didn't really get involved with um, my relationship with him right away. But when I would fall or I'd mess up, I would tell her because I never wanted to be fake. I never wanted to act like I was something I wasn't. If I failed, I would 
call her and I tell her, you know, messed up, you know, can you pray with me? She would, she'd counsel me, you know, and then she would pray with me and she would say, she'd be all, he's a butthead. (laughs) And I would get mad at her and I'm like, that's not a pastor's wife. Pastor's wife shouldn't say that about people. I don't care. He's a butthead. (laughs) You know, and so um, I remember him actually coming to church at one point in time. And then he got freaked out because we spoke in tongues and like he left. It was like the day that I think I, we were fighting. Someone had picked me up for church and then he ended up coming with somebody else to church. He ended up moving out, getting, going back with his dad. But like I told you, we were always still together. Like he was it was harder for him to be with me because I was always at church now. But um, whenever I had a day off or was idle, there he was. And I remember having to actually deal with that situation. I remember speaking with Pastor Basham. And he told me, you're, you're going to have to stop doing this. You're going to have to stop fornicating. It's like that is a sin. And if you don't stop it, then I'm going to put you out of the church. And he showed me scripture and stuff. And I was like, I was like, well, maybe I'll just get married. We should just get married. Like we weren't even together. together. Was he still dating that other girl? Yes, he was. Wow. He, but he was always, it was confusing to me. Yeah. He was dating her. And I think it was, I don't really know what that was. He had his own issues, dude. Like if yeah. he's probably addicted to the game and having multiple yeah. girls on the line and stuff. I yeah. Don't know. It just sounds like that to me. Yes. Even though he was, he was bugged by certain things about the church or whatever. And he didn't like Patsy talking to him, witnessing to him. He would tell me like, tell Patsy not to tell me anything. He liked the change in me. He liked, you know, what God had done in my life. That's a trip. And he was drawn to that. I remember him with his girlfriend on the phone and she would be like crying to him, telling him how horrible her, her life was. And him saying, talk to my friend and putting me on the phone with her to witness to her. And so I witnessed to her. She got saved. Oh my gosh, what a trip. And she came to church and um, started coming. And then we had to figure out how to get rid of him because he was a stumbling block to both of us at this time. And was she aware that you were hooking up with him too? Not initially. After she came to church, she was, because I told her. Wow. It's just a mess. It was a mess. So you said, you said the pastor challenged you after some time of you being saved Mm -hmm. about fornication. And and so what happened from there? Did you receive it? Were you mad? I I did. I was hurt, but I read the Bible. I saw it in the Bible and I knew it was wrong. In my heart, I loved him. I really did. I, I really loved this guy. And so I wanted him to marry me. You know, and so um, we started, we started saying, you know, like talking about marriage and he was like cutting that time. He's trying to 
separate himself from the other girl. But I mean, he was 18 and I was going to be 17. Like we were not ready for marriage. We ended up breaking up, like cutting ties. But he had gotten me a job at his job. So I had to see him every day. And then um, there was this really pretty girl that was there. It wasn't very long after I cut ties with him that he was with her. And he was telling her that he loved her too. So he loved me. He loved the other girl. He loved this one. He loved us all. And he had told me one time, you know what, Tasha? He's like, I like Christian girls that backslide. She told me that and I told Patsy and she said <laughs> she got mad fucking yeah, God yeah. yeah she she had a few words yeah about that and so after cutting him off you know I was still like pretty like you cut him off but you're still working with him no you went actually, and got a different job yeah I I gave my two weeks notice so had you worked a job before before you got saved no so what was that like Realizing, okay, you said you stopped drug dealing. What was your first job? Um, my first job was at Arby's. It was him that got me the job because he had worked at Arby's before. And then he had decided to go back there. The, the guys that I dated before, all they all wanted to be rappers and drug dealers and make it big that way. <laughs> that was their dream, you know? Yeah, yeah. To be a rapper and a drug dealer and be discovered for their rap talents but he was different in the way that he actually had a job I think he listened to rap music he was a little bit different so when he got me my job you know I was there working but he was there you know and so he when he moved out we were still working together and so there was always that chance of rekindling stuff and it happened you know several times and so when I actually decided to cut him off after the conversation, I think I had cut him off because I was trying to make strides to do right. I could not see him with someone else there every day. And I served God, you know, but I always had him in the back of my mind. Even though I cut ties, so to speak, I didn't cut ties in my heart. Eight months later, I'm serving God, but um, someone couldn't come get me for church. So I call him. I called him and I ended up falling into sin with him. Did he, did he take you to church? No. <laughs> he picked you up and went somewhere else. Yeah, we went to his. But my pastor called me into the office right after that. And he, he asked me why I miss church. And I told him why. And he asked me if I was with him. And I told him yes. And he, with tear-filled eyes, told me that he was putting me out of the church for a while. And so I was devastated. Like, I know that I had made the decision. He said I, I forced his hand because he had already talked to me about it. Here I am trying to keep the fact that I'm backslidden under wraps, like my whole family had started coming to church at this time and I'm not allowed to go. My mom, my sisters. And so I wasn't allowed to go. And so I'm like in my room praying and watching church on TV, which is not the same. 
I had to work to rebuild my testimony. I talked to Patsy like after that. And she said, we, years after. It's like, we prayed that boy out of sight, out of mind. And he joined the military. And I like, I've never seen him again, never. Wow. Pastor Basham and Patsy were very straight up with everything they said. And I was already straight up, you know. And I remember this one time my mom, she was all, what did she say about our God? Our God something. And I said, you're God? I was like, you don't serve God, mom. And she's like, we all serve the same God. And I said, no, you're of your father, the devil. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, give me that two by four. <laughs> she kicked me out of her house. Oh my gosh. So you're watching, you're, you're praying and you're watching things on TV. And how long did that go on for? I was kicked out for one month. One month. Thank God. Had it her, I probably wouldn't have made it. You know, so during that time, I remember him coming over, you know, and I didn't dare like fall with him anymore. But he was so excited. I remember one time I was like, I just want to, I should just get go get drunk. He was so happy when I said that he came with liquor. Wow. I watched him get drunk. I didn't get drunk. I can't like just totally throw my salvation away because I made a a dumb decision. Do you feel like it made you realize the weight of it? Oh yeah, it did. Like I, I felt so alone because like all my friends I had already made stands with, you know, and I had already, you know, closed doors on sin. And then my church family, I wasn't allowed to be a part of that. So I was so alone. And I did that to myself. Not only that, but you know, when you're newly saved, the spirit of God is on you and you can feel God's presence. And it's like anything you do, like anything you, his presence is just there. Well, during that time, I did not feel the presence of God at all. It was like he left. Whoa. Even though I know he didn't. Yeah. But it, like it was a spiritual spanking. It really was. And I remember coming back after being disciplined. And I remember telling Patsy, I feel so far from where I was. And she's like, I feel I, I like ruined my testimony. I told her. And she said, You need to read. And I was like, but I don't feel God. She said, you need to rebuild your testimony. And I said, um, I don't feel God's presence. Like I, I go and I pray. I don't feel him though. I don't feel him in church. I don't feel him anymore. And she said, you need to serve God whether you feel him or not. Wow. You need to serve God on faith. And so that's what I did. Like I just prayed, built my relationship with God, still read my Bible, witnessed whether I felt like his presence is acceptance or not. I remember him welcoming me back though. Like I, um, I went to, I was going to go to boot camp because this was the year that I turned 18. And so I decided to try to find a job 
you know, I was going to pay my way to boot camp and we were doing like fundraisers and stuff like that. And um, God opened up this job for me and it was like to tear down a bowling alley. And so there's this older man who was, he was like a grumpy old man and he was walking and he's holding his back and he had said his back hurt. So I said, I can pray for you. I can pray for you and God will heal you if you believe. He says, sure. So I laid hands on him and I prayed and God healed him. He was like, are you serious? Like you wouldn't believe like my back doesn't hurt at all anymore. It was like God welcoming me back, you know? And so um, I just remember his presence was so thick that day, just in my life. I remember going to a concert. It was at the Fourth Street Church. Uh, pastor Wilson was a pastor. And um, that band was so anointed. It was just the cherry on top of everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just, oh, yes, I'm, you know, like, I wasn't being spanked anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It's the hug after. (laughs) Yes, I felt the hug. You know, just served God. I gave it all. Like, I didn't have any more distractions. God helped me to close the doors on all my sin. Like, when I was involved in drinking and smoking weed, when I got saved, I don't remember quitting those things. They just left. Wow. Like, remember, like saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. I just remember from one day to the next, I was dirty and then I was clean, you know? And so God helped me to just, to serve him. And then after like four years later, my mom, you know, and this is something that I didn't mention, but remember I told you that when she had that demonic person, (laughs) that person that came over. He told her that the Potter's house was the right church to be in. Oh, yeah. So um, she always thought the Potter's house was evil because of that. You better not ever go to a Potter's house. And so when I got saved, I didn't know it was part of the Potter's house. But by the time I found out, I was already filled with the Holy Ghost. I was already changed. And so that was another thing. I went home and I was like, Mom, guess what? I go to the Potter's house. I told you never to go to that Potter's house. But four years later, you know, after praying and seeking God, my mother, who was, um, she was going on another fit of schizophrenia. She had ended up coming to church and a pastor prayed for her. And that was on Wednesday. By Friday, she was completely normal and totally delivered her from alcoholism totally delivered her from smoking cigarettes like and she smoked since she was 13 like it was a miracle that he had done in her life and and she's still saved to this day serving God a really cool girl that I met at at work and she I saw the conversion in her she's totally got saved set free she had all this stolen stuff that she was giving away to people. And this girl had a heart for souls. I mean, she could anybody to pray. She would talk to everybody. Like if we went somewhere, it was the minimum 30 minutes we were going to be there because she was praying or talking to somebody in in her life. And, and I, I was amazed because God was able to use my life to touch others. 
you know, and then we had started, I remember also like starting a rap group. We were just talking about it one day, you know, she liked hip hop music. My girl's all into hip hop. And I used to listen to a lot of rap music. And um, we were at a revival one day and this guy comes, the, the, the preacher came to us and was like, you guys do rap music? And we're like, no, like we were thinking about trying to do something. He's like, I got a bunch of instrumentals for you. And he gave us instrumentals, what we were lacking. And like, we began to write music and it was totally God. Like God used us all over New Mexico. And we would pray, we'd fast before concerts and we would see. I mean, we never did a concert when no one got saved. We never. It was always people got saved, altars, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that God used us. And later on, she ended up leaving her own thing, my friend. And uh, so I, at that point, I felt really lonely, you know, because um, she was like my partner in crime. We were together for like five years, you know, we used to live together and we ministered together. We were in every ministry together. I remember one at one point in time, we were in church seven days a week for like two years. I am so serious, that much ministry. And so, I mean, I don't recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when you're single trying to stay off the streets, you know, I don't know. (laughs) I was feeling pretty lonely. I remember, um, you know, just dealing with that situation. I remember us, she was already backslid at the time. I remember her saying, Pastor coming to us and saying, I know you guys aren't abandoned anymore. He said, but Pastor Child wants you guys to rap. And so I looked at her and I was like, do you want to do it? And she's like, yeah, we can do it. The altar was full and people kept coming. And it was one of those concerts that you keep rapping because people keep coming. And it was just so powerful. And she's like, maybe we should still do this. I was like, you think, you know, <laughs> but you know, she was kind of like on her, doing her own thing at that time. So. I remember feeling kind of like lost, like in my salvation, not not sure where I was going anymore. I wanted to get married, but like there wasn't anyone around, <laughs> you know, and I wasn't pursuing, I wasn't the type of person to pursue anybody. So I kind of like just kept to myself and stuff, but I needed to branch out and have other friends because my my best friend was not serving God at that point. And so um, I started hanging out with other people in the fellowship. And I had went to Pastor Child's church to meet up with one of my friends. And lo and behold, Gerson was there and he was telling his testimony, which is really crazy. Um, We were engrossed in his testimony. He's telling us about like, he was involved in witchcraft and stuff like that. And I was familiar with some of what he was saying. And so we kind of just left it like that. It was pretty cool. And um, after that, she's all, do you want to go with me? And I was like, where are you going? And she's like, I'm going to meet her son. Because <laughs> she spoke Spanish. I'm going to go meet her son at, at, um, at the village inn, she tells me. Oh, okay, cool. You know, we'll go meet him. So we get there, he's standing there. He has such a blank face, like he's not 
a real smiley type. He has like no emotion. Stoic. Yes. So we get out of the car. Um, we go and sit down and they're speaking in Spanish, him and her. I was like, excuse me, that's rude. I'm sitting right here and I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> After that, he's like, well, I need friends to hang out with. So um, I think Elizabeth, Pastor's daughter was his friend. She's the one that won him to Christ. He, so he only like hung out with Pastor and his family, you know, because it was a smaller church. And so he's like, well, we should all start hanging out and encouraging each other and stuff. So that's what we started doing. He was always on outreach. He was like, I'm outreaching like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'm like, dang, you outreach every day? He's like, pretty much. And I was like, cool. And there was this other guy too that was interested in me. He wasn't, I can't say he wasn't saved. He just wasn't spiritually fit, I guess. He noticed that Urson was interested in me. He's the one that told me, I think that Garrison guy likes you. And I would be like, we're just friends. We just hang out. And all the while, like this guy was trying to hang out with me, trying to call me, trying to build a relationship with me. Prior to me meeting both of those young men, I had gotten a word from Pastor Jerry Russell. And he had told me, he said, you want to get married one day. It's like, you think you're old, but you're not. But I want to tell you, don't choose second best. So anyways, like I had no idea that Gerson was interested in me at all because he was so like, if he called me, there was never any about talk. He was so innocent in his conversation. Like it was always just like, we we're just friends. He called me out of the blue. He had gotten my number from our other friend. You know, this other guy, I gave him my number because I was feeling really alone at Long story short, I was talking to Elizabeth one day and she's like, you know, I've been praying for you because you really shouldn't talk to guys on the phone. I, I don't let guys talk to me on the phone because it's a little too intimate, she told me. I was like, okay. She's like, so I'm very careful about my phone conversations. And I was like, well, you know, that's, that's a good stand to have. And I always had that standard in the first place. So I was like, maybe I need to go back to that. Because he had started calling me every night. You know, every night he started calling me. And it was never an intimate conversation. It was just like to see how I was doing and to wish me a good night. And so that night when he called. But nothing I, had been defined at this point. He hadn't defined or told you he liked you or anything. Nothing. Wow. So um, when he called me that night, I said, you know what? I don't think it's a good idea that I talk to guys on the phone. And he was like, okay. And there was like a long pause. And I was like, so we're all going to get together and go to the fairgrounds and I'll see you on Friday. But uh, I don't think we should talk on the phone. And he was like, okay. And then he hung up. We hung up. And then he texts me. He's like, I have to ask you something. I was like, I was just like, oh no, I'm going to hurt this guy's feeling. You know, he was a good friend, but that's all we were, we're friends. And so the next day he's texting me and he's like, I like you. Like, I'm interested in you and I'm, get, I'm interested in getting to know you as more than just a friend. And I was, was getting ready to text him, oh, that's nice, but 
to let him down. And I felt a check in my spirit. Mm, okay. I was like, you know what? Let me pray about this. And so then that night I'm praying and I'm asking God, is this the one that I should be dating or marrying? And God said, yeah. And I said, what? Like, you never say yeah. So I started doing the Gideon prayer thing. Him, God, because he lived with his parent. You know, he had gotten out of the military, went to school to be an MA, and he was living with his parents at that time. And I was like, I don't want to date someone that's living with their mama. Like, wrong woman. I get that. that. (laughs) On Friday, we went to the fair, and I'm just like kind of looking at him, you know, and I had to really confront my own shallowness as well. Like, there was things like, poor. I got saved, like, I guess, I don't know if it's black culture or what it is, but like his shoes matter, his shoes, his kicks gotta be nice. You know what I mean? So I'm like looking at his kicks and they're not nice. I'm just watching him, you know, I'm watching how he behaves. Uh, I'm watching his character. And there was something that I noticed. He seemed a lot more interested in me than I initially realized. noticed. Yeah. But he's, he's very respectful. He never crossed the line, never tried to do anything or say anything that was inappropriate. Yeah. Inappropriate. He was just such a clean person, you know? And so when I did decide, I think we talked on the phone and I said, okay, so I said, so are you ready for marriage? I asked him because I'm a, I'm older, you know, I'm 28 at this point. And so I asked him, are you ready for marriage? He said, I'm ready, but my wallet's not yet. So, because he had just gotten a new job. And I said, well, let's just be friends. Let's talk with the intent of being more. It was different from any other relationship in my mind, but we laid it all out. We talked about our dreams, our aspirations, how many kids you want. Do you have any debt? Do you have any secrets? Do you still love your ex-girlfriend? Because he was engaged before me. So like, we just, we laid it all out. And when we decided like, okay, we're comfortable with our answers and we decided to move on, then he asked me, asked me if it was okay if we entered into a courtship with the intent to be married. And that is how he asked me. He said, will you enter into a courtship with me with the intent of marriage? I remember you sharing with me that you had made a list, right? And God gave you everything on it. When I made a list of the qualities that I wanted in a man, I, I did not want a girly man. I wanted an actual man that um, had his emotions in check. I didn't want a man that wore pink. Like that just really turned me off. Like, I get that. Amen. Are you boys um, listening out there? <laughs> girls, <laughs> girls don't like it when you wear pink. Okay. Even my three-year-old knows that's for a girl. I like the structure and discipline that the military had. I really liked that discipline in a man. And and so I was, I said, God, it really would be nice, not a requirement, be nice if he had a military background. Also asked God, um, I wanted him to be a musician because I'm a musician um, and I wanted us to be able to uh, minister together. My husband, he's a voice coach. He sings he plays a number of instruments. He knows music. He reads music. 
he's able to help people sing better. Like he's helped me. (laughs) Wow. That's so cool. All of those things like God gave me what I was looking for, but it was like, there were random things that I would ask God, you know, it was in him. If you were just to give us a synopsis, how long have you been saved now? I've been saved for 23 years. And what are you guys up to these days? We're serving God. He and I are very involved. So he like helps out the pastors, covers services for him. Sometimes he'll preach. He leads the outreaches. We're just of service and very, very busy. He's he's so, he's my best friend. And he's the most interesting man I've ever met. And I'm not kidding. Well, I know him better than anyone else. When I married my husband, we were, you know, we had never even touched each other in an in a inappropriate manner or anything like that. It was so beautiful. I think God allowed me to redo that. God did that for me. And we've been married for 12 years. I have a son who will be turning 10 in two weeks. He's such a blessing. He's everything good. He loves God, loves to witness, brings his teachers to church. He uh, prayed for my grandpa and he got healed. You shared some really insane things that happened to you as a child. Was there a moment that you had to forgive or reconcile that? Or was that immediate? How did that work? Okay, so what I want to say, first of all, is that one of God's names is Mighty Counselor. And so um, I began to work at home by myself a couple of years ago. And I noticed that there was a lot of things that kept rising up in me where God was showing me myself and how I needed to. He was showing me why. I react to things the way I do. Issues of rejection, insecurity, bitterness, unforgiveness. And so there was a time where like, I was very angry at the homosexual. Just that whole lifestyle was disgusting to me, you know? And so um, I remember a really good friend of mine asking me like, why are you like I understand that it's bad and it's you know immoral but why are you so repulsed why like your reaction is not normal and so I had to deal with the fact that I had unresolved issues with it you know and of course homosexuality is it's an abomination you know and it's a sin but God loves the homosexual and so I never, you know, after when I was old enough to make the choice, I never dabbled in that type of a lifestyle. But um, I did have to forgive the person that violated me. And so I began to pray for that person, you know, and ask God to save them, you know, and because it's really hard to be angry at someone you're praying for. Also, like the abuse that I endured growing up. I had to reconcile that as well, the physical abuse. At one point in time, I had spoken about my uncle who moved in with us. And at the time, he was a, I felt like he was a tyrant, you know. And I didn't understand why he made my life so hard and why he was abusive. Even now, like there's times where I don't like to be around him. 
And so I had to call him recently. Actually, this, I want to say it was this year, the end of last year. And I asked him, like, why did you hurt me? And he said that he was trying to keep me from going to prison. You know, he was just trying to, basically, he's just trying to discipline me. He was trying to be that father figure, but just not knowing how, you know, he was abused growing up as well. And so I had to let him know that I forgave him and that I don't harbor any bitterness towards him because not dealing with those issues will they'll come out at some point in time in your life. I had to really think of why my reaction to certain things and certain people was so severe. And I really accredit that to God just showing me like who I am. Well, Tosh, it has been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. And now it's documented.